0: Ultimately, happiness is a choice. Mm. That's how I would fill in that blank. Happiness is a choice. You can choose to give yourself happiness. And that's probably the most important, like aha of my lifetime is like, yes, this thing happened. It doesn't have to affect how I feel about everything else. Yeah.
1: Welcome to A Better Life with Brandon Turner. That is me, where world-class guests share their wisdom on building a better life. Join me as we explore the habits, the actions, and the beliefs that have guided their journey with the aim of helping you apply those lessons to your own.
2: Oh! We set our sights on a better life. Yeah. Jay Wendy.
1: Jay Wendy my heroes. How are you guys doing? Hi,
3: Brandon.
1: Hi. So glad doing to be here. awesome, man. Yeah. yeah, this is fun. Yeah. I, I don't We're say that. are in Maui. You are in Maui, oh. and this is your first time in Hawaii. Our first
3: time in Hawaii. Uh, just here.
1: Three favorite things so far in Maui. Go. I know you haven't been here long, but what have you loved? Gosh. Nakalele blowhole. Oh yeah, I've not done that oh, in five years of being here. Oh my gosh, you have to go. I know it's one of those it's things. Now I'm like, I'm gonna hold out as long as I can. <laughs>
3: well, the drive. From the here drive. Was Gorgeous. Yeah, so yeah, the drive oh, yeah. was
1: pretty cool. Yeah. Is it before or after the one-lane cliff, no guardrail, you um, might
0: no, that's, die? That's after. That's allowed. Okay, that's yeah. great. You should do that yeah, one. It's harrowing. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So it's one of those where, where it was funny. They have a little signs that say "blow horn" and yeah. it's to warn people. And I thought I'd misread the map. And I said, is it the blowhole or is it the blowhorn? Does it make a sound? No, it's the hairpin. Yeah, you
1: just might die. It's great. All right.
0: All right. That's a good one. What else? Sunset. Ooh, Mm a couple of sunsets sunsets already You can tell, like, that's the thing here.
1: Yes. What I love about Maui is everybody, everybody. I mean, Alex, you know this, like you make this point. Everybody in Maui runs to the beach or if you're at home, you just watch it. And everybody watches the sunset every night. And
0: uh, and then goes back to doing what they were doing. But if you imagine, like Apple's thing. probably got like heart monitor data. Uh-huh. It shows like right at sundown, like everybody's heart yeah. rate lowers yeah. just a little bit. It's collectively. Magical.
1: Sure. It's magical. That's a whole different topic. But I've thought about this recently about how almost every human in the entire world sees a sunset every single day. Yet almost every human still loves almost every sunset every single day for our entire life. And I'm like, how that's fascinating. The sunsets never go away, like in terms of beauty. No. Uh, there's something built into right, our soul. Our,
3: thank you, Mother
1: Nature. Uh huh. It yeah. really is. Yeah. All right. Sunsets in Maui. Number
0: three. What do you got? So far, the people. Yeah. Well, I was
3: going to say the sound of the ocean while oh, you're yeah. falling asleep.
0: Mm. Mm. That's pretty sweet, too.
1: That is pretty sweet. Yeah.
0: We'll, we'll agree to disagree, but they're like, that would be my fourth. <laughs> the people are great, too. The yeah, people yeah. are great, too.
1: Uh, some of them. You know, I'm still working on Alex to be a little better of a person, but whatever. We'll get there. Anyway, thank you guys for coming out to Maui. I know you came here for the Real Estate Investing Summit. And uh, killed it on stage earlier, and now we're going to pick your brain on a whole lot of topics, including kids and family and wealth and health and the one thing and all that. So speaking of that, so let me explain how I know you today, and I'll tell the audience how I know you, and then we'll get into how you got there. So I know, first of all, Jay, I know you as the author of, uh, co-author of The One Thing, alongside Gary Keller, who you're, I know, close with. Uh, that book rocked my world, pivoted my life, changed everything that I do. And I built a lot of my success off of it. So first of all, a public thank you for what you did there.
0: Love What's hearing that yeah. made an impact, man. A huge
1: impact, yeah. man. I, I was telling a story earlier on, uh, on stage, but when I read that, uh, there was a section in there on goal setting to the now, which we can probably talk about later, but I pulled the car over and I pull up my camera and I recorded a video for social media of like, I just heard the coolest thing of all time. And <laughs> I was like, I cannot forget this. And it became the cornerstone of what I do I today. How to so, say you're a nerd without saying you're a nerd. Exactly. I was, yeah, I'm a book nerd all day. It's great. All right. So I know you obviously, Jay, as the author and Wendy, I know you're a real estate in, uh, an agent. I mean, you're both investors as well, but you're also an agent. Uh, you have a very successful uh, Keller Williams, correct? Keller Williams. Uh, model Sam
0: properties, Austin,
1: Texas. Yeah. You guys crush it and you're, you're huge. I love it. Um, you, I know you've given away a ton of money. You've raised a ton of money and given away. So you're a very philanthropic. What's the word? Philanthropic. Philanthropic.
0: philanthropic. I love it. I'm Thanks not, for saying yes. it wrong first. I had to look at the ceiling to remember. <laughs> yeah. There we go. <laughs> there we go. Yeah.
1: Uh, and podcasters and writers and all that good stuff. You guys are everywhere. But let's go back. I mean, a lot of people know you as that. So let's go back to an earlier time in your life. And I'll, I'll let you guys start it. If you want to go individually, or maybe it starts where you're together. But walk us back to an earlier point in your life when before you were the Jane, Wendy, everyone knows and loves.
0: I literally divide my life into who I was before I met Wendy and who I became after. Mm. So that's not just because she's sitting here. (laughs) Um, But it was true though. I mean, like it is the normal, like we fell in love, we like books, we like to travel. But like, when you get the gift of having someone who's your best friend and is also your partner on the journey, Mm. like doing hard things with you, it's been amazing for me. Where'd you meet? How'd you guys meet?
3: We met in New York City. At our friend Amy Lambeau's birthday party. Mm-hmm. Here. And, uh,
0: Nothing uh, happened the first year because I'd just broken up and okay. you had a boyfriend. I was
3: dating someone. Yeah. That's
0: so fine. there's no like cheesy pickup line at that party? No. Nope. No. Okay.
3: No, but yeah. That
0: came later, I'm sure. She gives was, me I, grief. She <laughs> doesn't remember me, but
3: I remember having
0: so, I remember you wearing yeah. your purple overalls and I remember that you drew on the table. You were sitting to my right. Like yeah. I remember a lot of it, okay. but I'd just <laughs> broken up with someone, right?
3: Well, I was dating someone.
0: Mm. Why do you remember me? <laughs> but exactly a year later, okay. I was training for the New York Marathon and had quit smoking. And I did not go out to dinner with them. And I was going to meet them at bar afterwards. And you were I was training. I was you training. Yeah, you and running. I came so close to bailing, man. Mm. And I'm sitting there. It was near the Ludlow Street bar. Mm-hmm. And I'm waiting. And this is back when people still smoked in bars. Yeah. yeah.
3: And there are no cell phones.
0: Yeah. And no so. cell phones. So like, I didn't know when are they are were we? going to show up. And I'm like, I'm going to have a beer. But, like, I just kept staring at everybody smoking around me because I was running the marathon to quit smoking. Yeah. And it was really getting to where I was like, I'm going to walk out. And when I walked out, y'all's car pulled up. And, you know, a couple hours later, I asked for a phone number. Mm.
3: Well, actually, no, because we were chatting. And then we walked across the street. I remembered him Well, this is a before. good. this is a good moment. Yeah. yeah. And in New York at the time, nobody really checked your IDs except for the Ludlow Street Bar. And so as a joke... I was flirting. I said, let's switch IDs yeah. <laughs> and see if he notices, which, you know, Jay's six foot four and blonde, and I'm definitely. And not my like,
0: ID had like shoulder length hair yeah, on it too back yeah, then. Yeah, yeah.
3: So we switched, and then the bouncer
0: didn't notice. It was so. great. The <laughs> bouncer like gets his flashlight out and like goes through the show of like looking at it yeah. and then handing it, looking at it. But I mean, oh, I bet they just zone out. It's like. like the the video of, you know, them passing the basketballs while the yep, monkey, while the monkey the, walks the, through. Yeah, and all he's looking at is the date. Yep. Yeah. Right. By the second or third date, we both well, had remember, told our roommates, like, yeah. I think this is the one.
3: Oh, yeah, I came home from my second date, which I did, I never wanted to get married, so it was mm. like a big deal. And I remember you left a message on our answering machine at our apartment in New York, and Stacy and I were like, Oh, yeah, she called. Oh, that's <laughs>
1: cute. You ever think about how wild it is that, like, you may have missed it your entire life by five minutes, right? Like, and then yeah. like, uh, Steve Jobs has a great quote about you can only connect the dots looking backward, mm-hmm. um, you can only see like this led to here, For this sure. led to here. That might even been, was that in the one thing, that quote?
0: Yeah. I read that yeah. somewhere. It might I have been say, re- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That sounds awfully familiar. That, that's great.
3: You're quoting Jay right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm
1: quoting you, quoting someone else. That's, like, <laughs> that's okay.
0: Uh, I told you, it made a big impact, man. Uh, At the wedding yeah. though, like well, you picked out that poem, that poem about like, you know, yeah. there were doorknobs that was still warm from your hand and then my hand. And yeah. it's this idea about, yeah. there's so many chances to miss yep. before you connect. Yeah. So wow. anyway, all right. Right. So can you can get... get all cheesy. Everybody's like, oh, oh. I'm going to barf
3: in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> so sweet.
1: Oh, no, I love it. All right, so we have the BW and AW, before and after. So yeah. Yeah. what did you
0: guys do then together? I mean, like, you got together, you got married at some point? Yeah, the first big adventure, we wanted to leave New York City. That's where we met. And... We both wanted to travel, yep. so we kind of agreed after we got married that we would quit our jobs, we threw all of our stuff in storage, and we went backpacking yeah. in Europe and North Africa we for said, about five months.
3: Yeah, we said, let's have a cheap wedding and an expensive honeymoon.
1: Ooh,
0: I love that. Where's your favorite place you went? Well, uh, there's I'm going to say Matato.
3: Yeah, of course.
1: I have okay.
0: heard of that. What yeah. is that? So <laughs> I'd, I'd lived in Paris for a while with okay. my, one of my best buddies from high school, Brian Justice. Okay. And he went away for his junior year abroad, fell in love with an Italian girl and has never come back. Mm. And during that time, they would go to this little village in northern northwestern Tuscany called Matato in the mountains. And he kind of fell in love with the village. And I remember I'd just been there for three months. I barely spoke French and he goes, I think I'm going to buy this olive farm. And we went down there and he ended up buying it. And it's about like a at this point, like a 35-year rehab?
3: Yes, a 35-year rehab. It's like
0: the is, longest rehab of all of time. which we were
3: involved in on our honeymoon.
0: Yes. we. Yes, the
3: very we'll first help. day of our honeymoon, we had to walk down to the river and collect rocks. And I was like...
0: This is not romantic. I was like, this is
3: not what I thought of for my honeymoon. But, it, but we, was, it was romantic.
0: But we, like not Wendy and I, but before that, we put in the bathrooms. We put in the first shower. Like there were no windows. It was mm-hmm. like a barn house that we rebuilt. And he has taken it where... I mean, it's, it's an a, actually it's an Airbnb a, no. It's an Airbnb. Yeah,
3: matato.com, or oh. just a shout out. Yeah.
0: But that's funny. Like, this is one of my early Christmas oh, yeah. gifts this to is him. good. I was like, I should get Brian, who's not very tech savvy. I got him the URL. I was just going to look for a URL because I knew he wanted to rent it someday. Yeah. Back then, in the early 2000s, like, I got the whole .com the whole for the town. <laughs> matato.com, and people come there, and he's like this American guy who owns a house, and they're like, you own the town name? He's like, yeah. Point yeah. of rental property.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Yeah. All right. So that is an awesome way to begin a marriage. So I'll travel in the world. Yep. Where's your least favorite place? Did you have any horror stories of that trip?
3: Well, that first night in Tunisia was pretty horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. We had a, it was like, you know, this was like really before you could get a lot of travel information on the internet or anything. I mean, this was 2000, no, 1999. Mm-hmm. And so we had, it was probably Lonely Planet recommendation for a hotel in Tunisia, and it was horrible. Like, we walked, we got in the room, and there were just dead, bloody mosquitoes all over every wall. Mm. And Jay, mosquitoes love Jay, so he's like, get me out of here. (laughs) But we spent the night, and then we hightailed it out of there in the morning.
0: You know, in those movies where like the hero is like some spy and the man is chasing him and he ends up in some seedy city yep. and he's wounded and he lays up in some, uh-huh. ba- that's, that's where we plan. play. <laughs> yeah. That was it. Whoops. Oh, amazing. <laughs> oh, well. All right. So I want to get
1: into your, your bringing up to modern life here. But before we do, uh, one thing on this show that we always do is we donate hundred percent of the profits for or not, not even profits, all the ad revenue from every show to a charity of the guests choosing. So question is. What charity or what cause or mission breaks your heart? We picked the same one. For yeah, this, we did.
3: We. Yeah, we picked Red Oak Hope.
1: Red Oak Hope. Tell me about that.
3: Red Oak Hope is an organization that helps women who have been trafficked. Mm. It's actually based in Austin, Texas, and we've helped them with several fundraisers. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they do really important work.
1: Yeah, that's that's great. Yeah, it's Similar mission to what we're doing.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: That's, that's cool. That was where I connected with Paul Moore, another yep. investor. Same thing, same mission. And yeah. Addie was, we do an inspirational brunch at one of our events and our HR director had met her and interviewed her on the stage. And it was just gripping. It was like this 21, 22 year old woman traveling and a woman approaches her and says, can you help me?
3: Yeah. Can you save me?
0: Can you save me? And then she does, which is the extraordinary thing. Most people were like, I got to call the cops. But she does the whole clandestine thing to get her back home. And then all of her friends start calling her and then it became her mission.
3: Well, she actually got back and she was like, well, thank goodness that's over, you know? And then another woman approached her, another woman approached her. And so God taps you on the shoulder.
1: Uh Yeah. That reminds me of the, uh, I said it on stage earlier today, but when I talked to uh, a gentleman about human trafficking recently, and I said something about it being a coincidence that we're chatting today and he said, oh, it's not a coincidence. God's assembling his forces to take down evil. And this guy's a Navy SEAL. And I'm like,
3: yeah, let's go. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that, yeah, it was, well, That was so powerful. Yeah. And I think that I, it was really powerful when you said that to me. Mm. That was like my big takeaway from this morning, which is when we can get out of our own way yeah. enough to really be so intentional and true to ourselves and, and be running towards, you know, God's gift to us, mm. that is what happens. And that is a testament to you and what you've done. And that is what is happening to you. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank
1: you. Hey, sorry to interrupt this amazing podcast, if I do say so myself, to bring you an ad. But you know what? You might be tempted to skip through this and get back to the conversation, and I wouldn't blame you, it's that good. But then you miss out on the free gift I'm gonna give you. So hold on a sec. I wrote a book, it's an ebook. I never really officially published it. It's called How the Rich Legally Pay No Taxes. And it's basically a walkthrough on how depreciation works for real estate investors and how you can use the same strategies that I do to pay like nothing in income tax, potentially. It's really cool stuff. And it can even work as a passive investor in syndications. I mean, many of my nearly 2,000 passive investors in Open Door Capital—they are offsetting their income with these strategies. So to learn how it works, get the guide today. You'll read it in under 30 minutes, and it could help you save potentially millions of dollars over your lifetime. It's amazing. Get it at odcfund.com/taxbook. That's odcfund.com/tax. Well, what is? let me give you a broad question. What does financial freedom mean to each of you? Like with that phrase, what does that mean? I know you teach it, but what does that mean to you? And why is it so important?
3: Financial freedom? Well, I think I'm not sure who it was, but it was uh, Tim Ferriss. who talked about being a time billionaire. Mm. You know, we talk about being a money billionaire, but I love this idea of being a time billionaire so that you can, you talked about it, do what you want with who you want for as long as you want, whenever you want.
2: Yeah.
0: So yeah. What about you, Jay? I love that. Like you said it, I associate that with Morgan Housel. was the first person that articulated that so yeah. perfectly. I was like, wow, that's the definition of health and wealth,
2: mm, right? Yeah. You can't
0: do it without your health either. Yep. When we wrote The Millionaire Real Estate Investor, it was having the unearned income to finance your mission in life without having to work. Yes. And so like, I love the be able to do what you want with whom you want for as long as you want, whenever you want. Yep. That is the freedom part, which has always been a part of it but the longer we're on this journey the more i connect it to being able to put more into the mission yeah, yeah. cuz you figure out at some point like we're kind of done yeah. yeah so what do we strive how yep. do we make ourselves better by striving it's got to be for someone else yeah and like i don't know like how do we teach people to go there faster yeah yeah there was an episode actually in fact
1: You know, I mentioned that quote earlier about you can only connect the dots looking backwards, and I'm going to connect one right here, is that I actually listened to an episode that you did with Gary of, like, Think Like a CEO. Am I saying that name right? Yeah. There was an episode where you said, I don't know if it was him or you, but you were talking about that line about financial freedom. I think you asked Gary, like, how do you define financial freedom? And he said it's, you know, your bills are paid. You know, he said it way more
0: eloquently than I ever would, but your bills are paid so you can do your mission. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And that, That's the epigram in the millionaire real estate is investor. It, okay. It's the unearned income to finance your mission in life without having to work. Yeah. And yeah. That made a huge, huge impact on my life. Yeah, and I was it's like, like enough like, passive
3: like, income to fund your perfect life. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. It's powerful because yeah, I think, I think a lot of people, especially in our real estate world, they just have the dreams of the big boat and the big car and the big house and the big plane and yeah, maybe that plays into it. I mean, good for people who have the jet. I'm gonna have a jet someday. I'm
0: name it, claim it, right? I'm gonna. I'm <laughs> out. Uh, but like, but
1: that's it's a, not it's the
0: mission. a mission.
3: No, it's a hollow journey. It's, yeah, yeah, it can be a hollow journey. If yeah. you're
0: playing the "I'll be happy when" game, Ooh. it's really dangerous, yeah. right? And a lot of people think, you know, I'll have respect when I'll be happy when whatever. There's like an emotional connection yep. to the achievement that's not promised. Yeah. So if you're doing it for yourself, you're not. I don't pretend to think that you'll be happy when you get the jet. You're already one of the happiest people I've met. Mm. But that's like, that's something different. That's all some other like milestone. But I just think there's a lot of people that we know, especially in our industry that are working for money so that others, people see them attaining the things with money. Yeah. And then you get there and then it has to be something else. Like that's a well that never gets full. Yeah. I don't know. So, I'll be happy when you get the jet. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I will be happy when I get the jet.
3: It's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like having a yacht and you want a especially friend, when you're a friend flying. that's got a yacht. Yes. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly yeah. what it yeah. is.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's funny. You know, Gary Vaynerchuk once said how, you know, he talks a lot about buying the New York Jets. So right? he's it's his like thing. He talks all about, I'm going to buy the Jets someday. It's the Jets, right? Yeah, he's always yeah, talking about the, the, jets. the jets, right? Uh, and then I heard a, a line once he said, he's like, I don't actually care about buying the Jets. It's just a fun thing. And he might actually buy it someday, he says, but he might not but it's it's a cool like mission that's so big Mm-mm. to say like, that's gonna keep me like, it's something that distance I can swim toward. You know, when you're out in the ocean, you're like swimming and you're like, well, that's the lighthouse. I can keep going towards that. And so he's like, I don't actually care about the jets. Yeah. He just cares about having somewhere to head toward. Uh, and so the literal, you know, he's talking about the jets, I'm talking about a jet. I'm like, yeah. a jet is almost like a, I use that as almost a- It's like a metaphor. Yeah, almost yeah.
0: a metaphor for yeah. just like financial success Stretching in general. Yep. Yeah. yeah, because the way you have your value set like, how much wealth would you have to amass for that to actually be something that you would A no brainer yes for you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's mm, a way yeah. of thinking really, really big. Yes. Exactly what and that Lawrence is. Warren Buffett's team, yeah. Warren Buffett's team made him buy a private jet. <laughs> right. And yep. do you know what he named it? No. I think it's called the indefensible. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> right. It, but they just said, like, it's not just about being an asset. Yep. It's about your time. Yeah. And when you're operating at that level, your time's so valuable that, yeah, saving four hours. Instead of even flying first class to going yep. private, it was material his dollars per hour. I mean, yeah. can you imagine?
1: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I heard that once. I I never even thought of the jet until somebody explained it that way. They said, "What's two hours with your kids?" And they said, "If you if you travel, you know, three four times a month, which yeah. I probably travel that much," and they're like. You know, you're losing eight, ten hours a month with your kids. It's a lot. On you know like having to get the TSA early and all that stuff. And they said, "What's that worth?" Well,
3: especially you only get a few hours a day with your kids.
1: Yeah, you yeah. And so, what's so. it worth? Yeah, it's like it's a, it's potentially doubling the amount of free time you have with your kids yeah. or your family. And they're like, "What is that worth? Is that worth?" And you know, we're real estate people, so we tend to find ways to hack it anyway. So it's like, if I can find a way to rent it out on when I'm not using it, sure. can I get a free jet? Probably. Do I get the yeah. tax write off? Of course. Like, yeah. When you start thinking how. Instead of you know, should I? So you just again, need it's just need someone yeah. to
3: sponsor a jet for you. Yes,
1: there we go. That's like hello universe. Yeah, come on, we're gonna we're gonna get it. Uh, so we mentioned the word happiness earlier. Brought to you by yeah. Beardy Brew. Yeah, Beardy Brew. Thank you for a job. Beardy Brew, <laughs> the only coffee with a real piece of beard hair in every cup. Uh, <laughs> that's not our slogan.
3: Uh, <laughs> that's
1: that's but, horrible. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's great coffee. Um,
3: so very earthy.
1: Or very, or, yeah, very yeah, very organic. Yes. Uh, a little hairy. What is happiness? If you had to define, put a definition on happiness, how would you define it?
0: Go ahead. You can go first. Mm-hmm. Well. So like we read about this in The One Thing. I think happiness is that feeling you get, and it's often temporary, around the things that bring you joy. Mm-hmm. And it, we just tried to be really careful between distinguishing between being happy and fulfillment. And fulfillment is about the feeling you get when you're making progress on your mission towards your big goals. And there's something even like, it's been a horrible day, but you know it was good work. Yeah. And so it doesn't always feel happy. And so I try to focus on that when we get to my favorite book, like ultimately happiness is a choice. Mm. That's how I would fill in that blank. Happiness is a choice. You can choose to give yourself happiness. And that's probably the most important, like aha of my lifetime is like, Yes, this thing happened. It doesn't have to affect how I feel about everything else. Yeah. How's that sound? Well,
3: that sounds fantastic. <laughs> yeah, let's go with that. <laughs> well, you made me
0: go first. I was sitting there all internal on the question. Well, and I yeah. think
3: what I think about, what comes to mind for me is so many people choose comfort mm-hmm. over this idea of happiness. They, they confuse comfort with happiness. Yeah. And I'm like you, I think happiness comes from fulfillment. I mean, we are financially free, so we don't need to work. But I mean, really, am I just going to sit around all day and do nothing? No, I'm not. But for a lot of people, that is their choice. They think that comfort is what is going to bring them happiness. But so many people who are quote unquote comfortable, they're miserable.
1: Yeah. Well, let me, I mean, I get this question all the time and I'm going to throw it at you, but hopefully with a different attitude, I get this question of... Brandon, when's enough enough? Like, why are you working so much? Mm-hmm. Why are you working so hard? Why are you trying to build another business or mm-hmm. grow your real estate? Why do you need 10 billion of real estate instead of a mm-hmm. billion? Like, and there's this attitude of, I'm doing something wrong. Like, why can't I just be satisfied? Mm-hmm. I'm assuming you guys have gotten that as well. What, what's your answer to that? Like, why do you still do it? Well, I- You
0: briefly entertained enough was enough. Remember that?
3: I do go through that. Yeah. I think that's a very real question. Mm-hmm. And I think if somebody feels that way, I think that's okay too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I do believe that when you stop growing, you do start dying. So whatever growth looks like for you, if you want to quit your job and learn how to become a, you know, Asian stick fighting expert or, you know, whatever, then you're still growing in that arena. But I like to think of myself as a work of art, which is like, I'm just fine the way I am. Yeah, And a work in progress.
1: Mm.
3: So both, and it's hard to, if you're a striver, it's hard to hold both of those things because so often we never look back and appreciate where we've come from. Yeah. And so you have to you have to be purposeful about that.
1: You know, it's fascinating. We can do that with our kids, right? I've talked about this on previous episodes, but you can look at your son and say, I love you a hundred percent exactly as you are. Mm-hmm. I love you exactly. <laughs> I'm looking <laughs> at him in the eyes. Yeah. Your son is in the room, actually. We this love you, is, Gus. Yeah. Gus, yes. we love you exactly as you are i'm perfectly 100% happy with where you are right now but it doesn't mean i want you to stay there forever i would love to see you grow i'd love mm-hmm. to see you get a career and get family and all like that would be great so there's this duality there where we can be perfectly 100% content but also be okay with ambition mm-hmm. I, and I think somewhere in there lies the answer, but it's easier for us to do it with our kids, isn't it, than it is
0: to do with ourselves? Yeah. I think there's a because between those two. Because I love you so much. Mm, yeah. I want that for you. Yeah. Right. I want you to be seeking a life of yeah. growth.
1: My pastor recently said, I remember this line. It was so good. He said, God loves you too much to leave you the way you are. Mm-hmm. And I thought that's a great, like, it's because of love that we grow.
3: Yeah. Well, and um, sometimes growth looks really different. So you might be at the pinnacle of success in mm-hmm. your industry but you have so many areas of your life to grow in. So it's almost going back and saying like, how can I be a better friend? How can I be a better father? How can I, that is your growth area. So you you don't always have to constantly be growing in every single area of your life all the time. And so it's just, you know, picking what works for you in that moment. Yeah.
1: You know, one thing that we do inside of like the Better Life Tribe is, you know, we always start doing an analysis, basically the wheel of life. I'm sure you've done that. It's pretty typical, uh, you know, personal development thing where you look at that, all the 10 or, you know, eight, 10, 12, whatever areas of your life, career, business, finance, health, family, all that. And you kind of rate on a scale of one to 10, how you're doing on that. And I I try to have everyone in the tribe do that every single quarter. Mm -hmm. So we have kind of a pulse because as you said in the one thing, and I love this, I say it all the time it's not about work-life balance. It's a work-life balancing. scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you explain what that, what does that mean that, because it applies not just work-life, but
0: work-health balance and life-health balance, life-spirituality balance. The, where people get wrong is they think that balance is a destination, a place that you somehow magically arrive and you've arrived. Yeah. Right? I've got everything in perfect balance. Now I can just say my alms and everything is going to yeah. work out. <laughs> but it's a verb. Yeah. And it's something like, you know, even a ballerina standing on her, you know, toes, like it looks like she's in perfect balance, but if you zoom in, that ankle's going back. Like it's counterbalancing constantly. It's just a verb. Mm. And I think it's much more healthy to think about, especially if you're trying to achieve life, to be very actively engaged in the balancing and rebalancing around the areas of your life. You can neglect your health while you're working on this conference. Like you won't sleep as much as you normally do. And I think I even saw you post about like how can I be better about my diet and those my health habits when I'm doing this. You'll be a little out of balance, but then you really focus on getting back into balance. You can't just keep, you know, ignoring that. Yeah, because you'll pay a big price. Yeah.
3: Well, we also have a seasonality to our lives. You know, if you've got young kids, you're going to be in a different season. You know, we're at the place now where we've got a 17 and eight year, eighteen year old at home. So we're asking ourselves, like, well, what does our house look like with an empty nest? And yeah. so it's just to remember that, too. It's not going to be a stagnant thing, Yeah, you
1: know? no. Yeah, it's uh, always changing. Yep. And I think that's why that's why we make people do the Wheel of Life every quarter. Uh, and every time we get the other, we're like, where do you need work right now? Uh, where do you need to focus your life? Because yeah, otherwise, it's easy
0: to get out of balance for a long time. Our yep. coaches do that in our organization. Yeah. It's page We use one, page 114 of the one thing where you have the seven circles, yes. which is... Yep. Look, I didn't know it was called Wheel of Life. We just yeah. organically ended up there. Yeah. But like, rate yourself on a scale of one to ten, and pick the one you want to focus on. And doing that quarterly is a best practice. It's yeah. a snapshot. Yep. Because you get in and out of balance, and like, at least you're asking the question. Yeah. Yeah. I get especially asked a lot. with relationships.
3: Well, I love that because we have all these KPIs for our business. Yeah. You know, it's like, what are your KPIs for your for the rest of your life? That's
0: such a good
1: question. What does the KPI for your life look like? And if we don't take a minute to look at it. Yeah, it's just like a business owner who's like, if you're like, hey, how, how, how are you doing on leads right now? I have no idea. I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, how, what's your finances like? No idea. I haven't looked at my checking account ever. Yeah. Like, you're probably not doing a very good job at your business. Yeah. Like, well, unless like you're I, lucky. But. Yeah.
3: And I always say, like, you know, we've been on over, we have a date night every Wednesday mm. and we've been on over 800 dates. It's like, mm. what are the metrics of your personal life?
0: Yeah. We've been playing with that a lot. And Wendy's friends, Carissa, was talking about how she went from being afraid of the numbers of her business to loving it and even got a tattoo oh, the path really? is in the math yeah and it's true like on almost everything you can find a measurement yep that if you focus on that it gets better yeah but most people haven't stopped to ask what's my number
1: yep yeah it's that's beautiful and one thing I love to do and we do it inside the tribe as well is we'll take the idea of okay who is it you want to be you know identity based we call identity based right. goal setting I want to be this person and I always ask the question to people, who do you know that already has that? It's mm-hmm. like, who's awesome at that thing? So when it came to like business, I looked at it and I said, my friend David Osborne, he runs a business the way that I want to run a business. Like that's kind of my mentor in business. So I said, okay, well, what does David do? And then all of a sudden, then you start getting the the KPIs. You're sure. like, well, he yeah. meets with his person this many times. Yeah, it's like, and it's yeah. very easy to ask somebody, like it's one thing if I go to you and I'm like as an uh, Jay as a writer and I'm going to go, "Hey, will you be my mentor and teach me everything about writing?" Like that's a weird thing. But yeah. if I was like, "What are your habits when it comes to writing?" Yeah. In fact, Jay, what are your habits when it comes to writing? <laughs> as a person who has
0: sold over 6 million books, what are your habits when it comes to writing? Um for just... me it all starts with what I'm reading. Okay. So, I had a mentor. His name was Birla. He wrote FedEx Delivers. And my dad set me up with the meeting on with him early on and he just said, "Professional writers Creativity is connecting the dots. To be a professional writer, you need to have more dots to connect. Ooh. So read with purpose. Mm. Mm. And really that really stuck with me. And I looked up and I was mostly reading fiction. I mm-hmm. love to read fiction. It's like, that's where my work brain turns off. Yeah. And now I just read one nonfiction and then I can treat myself to a fiction. I still want to read for entertainment. Yeah. And I just go back and forth, but I'm reading with a lot more purpose these days. So. I heard James Clear say your outputs are a direct, they're downstream yeah. of your inputs. Yeah. Yep. So like, what are we putting in? You talked about it today, like the media, yeah. what are we consuming yeah. is going to inform. So that to me is the baseline. If yeah. I'm reading great work, then that those ideas are in my head for me to connect in new ways. Yeah. And I'm all about how can I make this practical and simple and accessible? Because yep. I want people to do something with it. Yes. So I can take something very esoteric and say, now, what do you do with it? Yeah. So I don't have to have the original idea. I just want to make it practical. And yeah. then, I mean, everybody says it, you've got to write. Yeah. So like for the first time in my life, I've had a weekly deadline. This last year, I gave myself a weekly deadline mm. for writing a newsletter called The 20 Percenter. Yeah. And it sucked, <laughs> right? It was on me. I've got to write it. I mean, Wendy would see me. It's like, you're working on the weekend again. And I'm like, and I get to write, and yeah. I get to write, and I get to publish, <laughs> And we're not going to go there. I know you have a different (laughs) feeling about this, but it's been a huge gift. And it was like that scene in Rocky before the big fight where he's chasing chickens and hanging from the rafters and doing sit ups. It's like, I feel like I'm in that routine. I've got a manuscript that I'm working on. Gary hasn't been in the writing room right now, but I feel I'm in fighting shape every week because every week I have to write something original and publish it.
1: Yeah.
0: And I've never done that to myself. Like writing books, like it'll take a few years. Yep you wait until it's perfect. So read and write in that order, I think with purpose yeah, and you'll get there.
1: So now to pull that into the the example is, okay, so now if I want to write a book, I just asked you that question. Now I got two things I can now KPI track. Am I reading nonfiction and am I writing every day?
0: Well, if you were writing fiction, you would be reading. Reading fiction. That's yeah. right. So you're, are you purposefully reading and how many yep. books are you getting through? Yeah. And,
1: and now you- I can track that. Like, you know, I use a habit tracker. There's lots of different habit trackers out there. We do it in the tribe. We do it, yeah. you know, in the... Uh, are you doing it? And if not, if you know you're doing it, then you're probably gonna, and if you don't get the results, then maybe you have the wrong input. So if the output, if the output that you're getting is dirty, then go clean up your input and fix it.
0: Yeah. The the gap between those two is while you're reading, like Gus is helping me like dissect a podcast, right? He's got him. He's my apprentice for a little while. And I was like, I want this cut into quotes, go and get the, the actual transcript and like who said it and when they said it. So that like, this is all fodder for something. Like we also do that with our books. Yeah. So I underline and I write and all of that becomes stuff. If I'm reading those books, I don't have to go reread the book five years from now when I think, man, I should go back to Man's Search for Meaning and that book taught me something. I can open up the opening pages and it, so like you have to go a little bit more than just reading it. Yeah, I agree. Right? Yeah, I
1: seldom read a nonfiction book without a pen in my hand. God bless you. I have to have that pen. People
0: apologize. They're like, show me. I wrote all over it. I'm yeah. like, "Ah, that's the best <laughs> yes. book, right? That meant you were actually interacting with it and having a conversation with it yeah. the entire time.
1: You ever read the book, uh, it was recommended by like 50 people. I finally read it, uh, The Road Less Stupid from Keith Cunningham. Keith Cunningham. Yeah, yeah. so good. Yeah. There's a chapter in that book, chapter 10, and it's all about him and his buddies all went bankrupt back in the mm-hmm. 80s or whatever. And mm-hmm. so he's like, hey, me and my buddies all wrote, sat down and wrote down every lesson we learned in that time. And we just listed them out in this chapter. And it's just like a hundred, just one-liners. It's so good. I underlined every single <laughs> verse, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, like line yeah. of that chapter. Yeah. I, mean, I love that shit. you just
0: said verse. Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> it, it, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I went, it's my Bible right now because like yeah. we're in a very similar maybe time. Yeah. And I'm like, we can, yeah, why not learn from a guy who's been there yeah. and done that like this is what
0: he learned. And so I, I mean, well, we took yeah.
3: the four day MBA from Keith. He teaches a class really? called the four day MBA, and oh, it's highly intensive. It's expensive.
0: But It'll he, teach lot, you how to really read a balance sheet. Yeah, and yeah. A and a lot of
3: those lessons came out. It was really good.
0: Yeah, yeah. So wow. there was a story that I had read about, and I'm trying to think of what was the the multi family, the shopping mall investor that Gary modeled profit share on. I don't know. Anyway, mm-hmm. it was in the in the, in the Southwest. It was, they owned more. Oh, malls. wasn't it
3: like the haircutting place? No, oh. no.
0: It is a commercial investor. Okay. Anyway, they owned more shopping malls and commercial real estate than anyone else. And in the, in the savings and loon, loan bust, like they were in crisis and they managed to come out of it and still be on top. Like they could, like most of those commercial buildings yeah. went back to the bank. They did the same thing. And there's a memo that was floating around where he had every executive write down, what were the mistakes we made and what did we learn from them? And that document, which is almost impossible because it's all these old typed memos that have been mimeographed and photographed. It's almost impossible to read. Yeah. Like I made myself last year oh, when we thought- Oh, is that
3: what you got? Oh, I yeah, that. I yeah. went and
0: downloaded that. I found it on the web finally and then went through all 89 pages. And I was just underlining the lessons learned. Yeah. Too much leverage, yep. right? They got ahead of their skis. They were buying way too much land because they you were- You
3: wrote a copy of the 20% on that. I did. Yeah.
0: But it was like the same thing. It's like learning, people have lived before us, right? Yeah. They have real lessons to teach us yeah. today. Like we'd be stupid not to listen. Yeah. 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 We can learn from
1: our own mistakes by making the same ones, or we can learn from their mistakes and try to pick up some wisdom. Or yeah. some of each. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So where did where did the connection to Gary Keller come from? How did you get into the world of that? And that, which led to Millionaire Real Estate Investor, which, you know, back on Bigger Pockets when I was doing that, like, I don't know, that was the second most commonly cited book behind uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad as a book that like changed people's lives. Yeah, that book was, everyone talked about it. So you made a big impact with that one, but yeah,
0: where'd Gary enter the picture? So after our honeymoon, right, that we were out backpacking, we knew that we didn't wanna live in New York City and start a family there. So we had looked at a few destinations, like we had looked at Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Mm -hmm. Raleigh, Durham. Yeah, Raleigh-Durham and like Wendy had been to Austin a few times. I loved Austin. Mm. And so we went and spent a weekend there and coming from New York City in January, like showing up in Austin and it's like 79 degrees. We didn't have any of the right clothes and it was like super warm and friendly and all the food was cheap and plentiful. Plenty
3: of tacos, plenty of margaritas.
0: So it's basically like we loved it so much we're like we moved there without jobs. Oh, yeah. And so Wendy got a job because she has a real career PR and marketing at that time. And I was like an editor in New York publishing. Like yeah. there was nothing. Yeah. And so I did a horrible job of freelancing until Wendy said, get a job. And uh, one of the three places I applied okay. to well, was Kelly Williams.
3: Home- and, well, I was
0: done. I was playing Diablo by the yeah. time she got home. Gus,
3: Jay was on the computer every day. I was like, okay, your freelancing days are over. <laughs> you need to get a real job. Financially,
0: it was an inauspicious uh, beginning to my half of the marriage. Because I
3: actually had two jobs at that point. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That was great, though. Like, so that person who's beating themselves up, you have hope. Because, yeah. man, I was kind <laughs> of a loser. I was, it was me and the cat, right? And um, look up and I applied for a newsletter writing job. At Keller Williams, and there were when I joined, I was the employee number twenty seven. Yeah. Wow, Cato's Corner
3: wasn't the name of the newsletter. Corner, yeah, and it was mm-hmm. an
0: internet newsletter for their tech team, and there were sixty seven hundred agents total back then. How and many are there now? One hundred eighty thousand in yeah. fifty seven countries. Wow, incredible growth. So it's been kind of a rocket ship ride, yeah. and so like I got to start a bunch of departments, and I just liked it because they were very entrepreneurial. Like they handed me a copy of Rich Dad Poor Dad. Mm the then president started our network journey.
3: Well, even the the, hiring process was incredible.
0: Yeah, I thought I was applying to be in the CIA. They gave me like multiple behavioral instruments. I was like, it's a newsletter job. Yeah, Like it's 40,000 a year (laughs) newsletter (laughs) job. And they made me take two separate, like the disc and some other behavioral instrument and then validated them at length. It was. I was like, this is a front for the CIA. (laughs) There's no other way.
3: I was like, are you gonna get this job or not?
0: (laughs) But a couple of years into that, I found out he was writing books. And I bumped into him in the bathroom because we were still that small. He was like plunging a toilet. He owned the building. <laughs> it was a classy commercial space and he made a joke about it. And I said, Gary, you're, I hear you're writing a book. Do you remember I used to work at HarperCollins? And clearly he'd forgotten that part. Yeah. And he took me into his office and it's not like the Fonz, like a stall. Yeah. Like We went into his actual office, <laughs> a real office. And he had a vision for writing 13 books already. Wow. And he pitched me on The Millionaire Real Estate Agent and said, how many copies do you think it would sell? And I asked him a few questions. I said, if you really nail it, 50,000 copies, which, you know, is a lot. Yeah. And back then it, it would time. have been a lot. Yep.
3: Well, especially when there's only 6,000 agents at the time or 10,000 or whatever yeah. it was he, at that point.
0: But he had a vision to do it as a business. And he wasn't happy with that answer. And he goes, mm. Will it be a bestseller. And I said, probably not. And because that's true of almost yeah. every book. And he laid out five books that he had been with his partner, then our partner, Dave Jings, who's since passed away, they'd taken five books and were taking parts of them, like Good to Great, The Executive Summaries. Body for Life was a book about fitness. It had myths and truths. And Mia Hamm's Go For The Goal had these profiles of individuals and what they were really good at. And there was The Millionaire Next Door, which I went back and read and it's not- Oh, it's horrible. It, but I still like the idea of it, right? And- It's so sexist. Yeah. Oh, um, funny. But I yeah. haven't read that in a long time. I don't read it. But he liked the idea that they went out and asked what all these people had in common. Yeah. Versus like one person's story. And I never can remember the fifth, but I edited Mia Ham and Body for Life. Mm. And I just said, I showed him my name and the acknowledgments. And he started, he basically called my boss. Yeah and just said, Good news, bad news. Talk
3: about serendipity. Yeah. yeah.
0: And said, Jay's got a new position. He doesn't work for you anymore. And no. I was applying to be his ghostwriter basically on the first book. That's how we started. Wrote the first book in a little over 90 days. And that one, not fifty thousand, is like one point six million copies now. Amazing! Wow. Yeah, that's wild.
3: The Bible of real estate.
0: It really is. I mean, that's the. It's that, really good. That
3: is it's the still, book people it still holds up. For Fifteen years. Yeah. What? Fifteen years later.
1: Yeah. So, what? If you could sum up, like, what? I've not read Agent because I'm not an agent, so I've never thought about read, reading it really. But I have had people tell me I should read it because there's really good stuff in there. And I follow a lot of what Gary has said around like sales, like a lot of my funnel stuff has come from that. What are you teaching in that book, The Millionaire Real Estate Agent? And should a non agent read it?
0: Yes. Anybody who's in a service business, I think, could benefit from it. Because, and I was really there as a scribe, helping them. Like I was very new to the game then. Yes. I wasn't, I was listed as a co author, but I was more of a ghostwriter, yeah. right? But they had spent collectively about 40 years at that point coaching business people how to be better business people and why it was so popular is you had an industry, a growing industry of real estate agents that were seen as salespeople look at their before modern family, there was not really a positive realtor ever portrayed they're salespeople and they wanted to be business people. And you had these generational shifts. You had people that their mom was a real estate agent and they'd gone off, got their pen degree, were working in New York city. And like, I hate my job, but my mom is free and they were coming into like a higher caliber, like these people had NBAs, were showing up and saying- They are leveling up. They were leveling up. And so the message of the book is you're a business person and mm. this is what a business person does. And like the easiest simple, like it's I do it, we do it, they do it. I do it as you're employed. We do it, you're self-employed. Like if you remove yourself from the equation, it ain't gonna keep going. They do it as business income. Yeah. And I think people started really realizing the ultimate game is you can be a great salesperson, but learning to succeed through others is the ultimate hack. Mm.
3: Well, and what I think is remarkable about that book is I think a lot of books are based on one person's experience doing something. And you always have to be wary about those books because it could be luck, it could be whatever. But the millionaire real estate agent was based on a hundred interviews of people who were netting a million dollars in their business. And the millionaire real estate agent is not one single person. It's models based on that 100-person experience and research. It was 27. 27.
0: We were said nobodies. People actually wouldn't take our call. Wow. They were like, who? Keller who? Yeah. But we managed to get 27 of the top 100 and wow. do in-depth profiles with them.
1: Wow. So do you think, did the book lead to the growth? Like, How much, how much would you attribute the success of Keller Williams to the book? versus just everything else like i know it's impossible to really answer but
0: yeah without going back and running a test case without it i do know that they wanted something that could say we're a high production real estate team like remax was always like we're the highest producing and still are in a lot of cases and we were known as the training company for new agents and Gary like asked the question, "How can we make our company fashionable for top agents?" And so, no one had ever actually done the math: mm. how much real estate would you have to sell to net a million dollars? Yeah, no one had actually done the math. So we did that, and we showed someone how to work backwards. Yep. If you want to do a million dollars net, let's work backwards. Go yep. setting to the now yep. with, before we were calling it that. Yep. To how many appointments I have to set with buyers and sellers? But that math works in any industry if you work backwards from a profit goal. Yes. And yeah, so
1: David Green, you know, uh, co-host yeah. of The Bigger Pockets, right? So David's Keller Williams. And he taught me that years ago. And he explained, because this is before he was making a lot of money as an agent, but we were friends. And he said, it's real simple, man. He's like, if you have, I don't remember what the number is, maybe you know it, but it's like, if you have this many people who would call you their agent, yep. and on average, they move every, whatever, seven years, mm-hmm. it, it just tri- it's, it's just like, numbers. The yeah, math just is numbers. in the math. Yep. And yeah. I remember, like, I'd never thought about business that way before. Like, that was my first introduction to funnels, uh, which is how I operate everything today. It's like- it's very numbers driven. So then, but what I was good at was just pushing him. And so he was like, yeah, I hope within five years, I think it was this thing. And within five years, I want to have those 3,000 people. So I was like, okay, well, what would it take to do in six months? So it was kind of the Elon Musk question. Yeah. And then it was like, well, that's impossible. And I, we and him went back and forth for a while. And we just, what was fun was in an hour long discussion, we came up with a half a dozen ways that he could build that list fast. I think it was like maybe 3,000 people or something like that. But it was like, okay, well, what if you did Webinars. What if you have a billboard on the freeway? What
0: if you did this? What if we did this? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden you start thinking differently, yeah. right? And that's the power of that. It's You're it's, asking a bigger question. Yes. You're yeah. asking a bigger question. It's funny, Gary, at breakfast this morning, because I was writing about this, like it's all about your database. Your mm-hmm. business is your yep. database. And showing in the math, like if you had 10,000 people in your business database, 64% of people own a home. Yeah. On average, they move every 10 years. Yep. That means if you had 10,000 people in your database, 640 of them statistically will sell at an average commission of 10,000. How much potential income is on that email list right now? Most people don't have a $7 million, $6.4 million asset that they're nurturing. They're chasing whatever it is, but right there in front of them on their phone and their data, 6.4 million potential, and they're spending all their time doing other stuff. Yeah. Because it's not fun always to think right. about how do it's I create sexy. touches and interactions and connections yep. with these people? Yeah,
1: it's great. And I think it was around that time that I took that methodology. And it's funny, again, connecting dots looking back. So bigger pockets was a whole lot smaller than I don't know if I'm revealing too much about bigger pockets inner working here, but I'm gonna do it anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were, you know, bigger pockets was small, wasn't making much money at all. We had our pro membership. And I remember Josh and I were trying to figure out like what do we do to grow it? And it was that conversation with David that was partially led to this, which was, and from based on what Gary had said was, okay, if we have this many people come to our webinars right now, and we sell this many pro memberships, this is what it works out to. And we're like, well, that means if we have this many people come to our webinar, so we made one little change, and this wow. forever yeah. changed bigger pockets. Was we simply put it in the sign up process? We have a free account, so people would sign up. We simply in the sign up process said, "Would you like to attend a webinar on real estate?" Wow. And overnight, ten times more people started coming to the webinars. Wow! wow. And we started selling. 10 times more wow. pro memberships wow. and helping 10 times more people. Wow. And it was, it was overnight. I mean, it was, I mean, it was a 10 year overnight kind of a thing, but it was that exact thing. I I don't know if I would have got there to ask that question, had it not been for the conversation with David Green, which came from you guys and Gary Keller. love yourself. it.
0: Connecting the dots, looking yeah. back. That Amazing. is so
1: cool. Yeah, it's very cool. And so I use that today. I mean, we literally did that same thing at Open Door Capital is how do we get $50 million of real estate? And it was, okay, let's work backwards. If we did this many offers, we did this many, this, we did, and we had a number. So we, like every quarter, every year, every, I mean, since doing that, we have numbers of offers that we're going to make because it it should trickle down and it it always does.
0: And if you're tracking them, you can adjust. Like, what's yes. the con- where's our conversion rate falling yep. apart? Yes. And it usually is a symptom of something in the market that you haven't adjusted to yet. Yes. So it becomes kind of your heads up display, not just for your goals, yep. but where do we need to adapt to the market? Yeah. By Somebody the
3: way, we just invested with you. Did you? Yeah. Hey, three thanks. Packs. You're a three-pack. Oh, you're awesome. Yeah. I love the
1: three-pack. That's going to yeah. be going. Yeah. That's a, that we got a ridiculously good deal on that yeah. one. But I lo- those happen once in a while. We're just like right place, right yeah. time. The thing lands and we get this massive discount. So thank you for investing in Open Door Capital. I just here at the conference today, I had a young kid. I mean, I, I bet no more than 20 years old. He said, you know, like we're tons of people around, you know, shaking hands. And he goes, hey, what's your best advice on marketing? And I was like, well, that's a big question. And yeah. I, I said, well, what kind of marketing are you talking about? He goes, like getting leads, like getting deals, like I need deals, what's your best marketing advice? And I said, if I had to boil down all marketing advice down to one thing, and it's, it, it could be marketing for investors, for deals, to sell books, to sell a product, doesn't matter. It all boils down to, I said, figure out what that backwards funnel looks like mm-hmm. and then set goals for each one and ask, how do I hit them? That's it. Like, it's like, okay, if I, if I had, and you can hypothetical though the whole thing, if I had 3,000 people on my list and if this many people called me and this much was my average, you know, whatever, income or my average sale, this is how much I would make. Great, so define what you want to make, work backwards, and now you have three or four very simple goals to go target. So if you have a web business, you just say, okay, well, I want, if I had 10,000 people on my website and they converted at 1% to my email list and 1% of them bought my product, I would make this, and my product was this much money, this is how much I get. And i like, just... Set a number for each one and ask how do I hit that? If that's all you do, you're guaranteed to be a millionaire.
0: And yeah. and then in the future, like how can I go from 1% to 2%? Yes, yes. Yeah, asking that and question. Yeah,
3: how can I maximize it? Oh. So mm-hmm. was
0: he was he crestfallen with that answer? Because I, I in my know. experience, most people they want to hear a tactic. Yes. Yeah. They don't want to you actually told them strategy. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Which is not it's exciting. Yeah. yeah it's it's not a silver bullet. Like, no, there's hard work involved in this, but that was great advice.
1: Yeah. I think what people want to hear is yeah, just do subject two. And you'll get you know go do a lease do a option. Bunch of or, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's like yeah, no, just define your funnel and just go after it. Yeah, all right, Wendy, when did you get into the real estate invest? I mean, real estate agent world. I don't want to go investing next, but agent world. When did that happen? For well, I actually, was an investor
3: first. Oh, were you
1: okay? Let's yep. do let's do investing first. You yeah. mentioned the phrase where I wrote it down. That was the start of our net worth journey. I like that idea, net worth journey. Mm-hmm. What was the start of your net worth? Like, how did you start your net worth journey? What is that? Um, And uh,
3: Well, so Jay, Jay, in his first year at Keller Williams, came home and he'd had a conversation with Mo Anderson, who was then the president or CEO, president? She was CEO. Yeah, CEO of KW. And uh, at the time we were renting and the class that Mo was teaching was on how to read a balance sheet. Mm. And as luck would have it, Jay was the only one that showed up. (laughs) And uh, Mo is a slightly terrifying figure. And what I love about it is, is that Mo chose to teach the class to Jay anyway. One person.
0: She said, oh, goody, instead of a class, we'll have a coaching session, which my eyes started, I mean, my (laughs) veins ran cold. I was like,
3: (laughs) But what I, I love that, because I do a lot of teaching and I used to think like, oh, I want a certain, certain number of people there. But the reality is, is that th- there's always the right number of people there because they're there for a reason and they're gonna take away something from it. And I think about mm-hmm. how many lessons you've imparted to millions of people over the years on wealth building. and So then Jay came home and he said, well, we need to start thinking about tracking our net worth because your conversation with Mo.
0: We had to fill out a mortgage application Mm -hmm. and find out what our net worth was. Remember? And I asked you very seriously, because we just bought some furniture at Target. It's like, can we include that? You had no idea.
3: We didn't know. Yeah. Because we'd been living in New York for 10 years, which we didn't have a single friend who owned anything. And we moved to Austin and the rent was really cheap. So we were like, we're going to rent forever. This is awesome. So then that really sparked us thinking about buying our first home.
0: Well, what was our net worth the first time we did it? remember? It
3: was about twenty two, twenty three hundred dollars 2300 $2,200. Yeah, which included a crappy old Tercel.
0: Tercel. That and my 401k. That caught
3: on fire like three years later.
0: You made this observation. At that point, Wendy and I together had been working for 10 years professionally. and all we 20 years. 20 years. 20 years together, 10 years each.
3: And all we had was $2,100 to show for it.
0: And I was like putting money in my 401k and doing all the things. We didn't have any credit card debt.
3: Cause yeah, we had, had I had schooled at. Yeah, And so it was kind of like, it was good in a way because it was positive. And yeah. yet at the same time, we weren't young, we were 30. And so that a few years after that, after we started tracking our net worth, we said, you know what? Let's set some big goals for ourselves. So yeah. that's when we- We bought a we house s-
0: because of that, directly because of that. We yep. bought our first house. Mm.
3: And so, yes, yeah, so we said, we want to become net worth millionaires in 10 years. We said, we want to become net worth millionaires. We want to have $75,000 in passive income and we wanna own 10 rental properties. Mm -hmm. And I can remember thinking, because I grew up in a, you know, kind of a scarcity minded household, lower middle class. And I remember thinking like, what, that's crazy. Like we are never gonna become millionaires. Like I was literally, my mindset was like, that's insane. And I was willing to like do the things. And one of the things was tracking our net worth. So every month we started, for those of you that, don't know, probably everybody does that's listening, but it's everything you own minus everything you owe. And so in six and a half years, we became net worth millionaires.
0: Was
1: it all through real estate?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mostly. We did not hit our 75,000 goal. And Araha aha was like in Austin, Texas with high property taxes, like yeah. we needed a different strategy yeah. to get the unearned income. I was, yeah. It was also good. like under an income is hard. You can get the paper value of things to go up. Yes. Yeah. But the actual cash flow from it is a different set of skills. I think
1: I made a joke on stage today. I was like,
0: "We were making three three yes. grand a month That's in cash so flow, true. and in reality,
1: like no, it's never it's that. like eleven $1, hundred bucks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like you make three thousand one month, and then the water heater goes out, yes. and then you make no 100%, 100%. money. Yep. And then the next month you make two thousand, and then the stove goes out.
3: And so yeah. we always focused on our net worth because we always lived way below our means and. Jay was probably one of the lower paid employees at KW at the time. I worked for Writers. the state of Texas. Well, Someone
0: gifted me with the knowledge that I was the lowest paid person in the building <laughs> when I was trying to negotiate for a raise. thinking that would p- Help encourage me. me. It was oh, just yeah. depressing as hell. Yeah. Yeah.
3: But I mean, I tell that, I say that because I think sometimes people now are like, oh, well, you're Jay and Wendy and you work for Gary and you made yeah. all this money. And we really, we started out, Jay was making about 40. I was making about 40. And then I actually quit my job because I got pregnant and decided to stay home with the kids and really focused on real estate investing. So
0: for the first, I mean, on that set, call it seven years, the journey for the first four, four and a half, our total household income was less than a hundred thousand. And we were just trying to see how much we could invest. And because we did side gigs and side yeah. hustles and probably both were doing about 10,000 in extra work on the yeah, side. We had a
3: lot of, always did the side hustles. Yeah, yeah.
0: but we managed to invest about 35% of what our total income was in those early years. And you look at our net worth, a huge chunk of it is those initial investments that we bought. It's crazy. It's crazy. When we were really poor, like some of those turned out really well. They've also had the longest amount of time to compound. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Well, I can remember our first, so we bought our first house after that conversation. We lived in it for three years until right before Gus was born. I said, listen, if we're gonna stay married, I need another bathroom. And so we moved out of our one bathroom house and I can remember the first tenants that we had; they actually made more money than we did, mm. and it was a huge aha for me because they pulled up in the driveway in their BMW, and they made more money than us. And I thought, "Wow, here we are—we, you're renting from us." I just couldn't believe it. It, it almost was like, feels not—it like, blew my mind. Yeah, it almost
1: feel like not fair. Like what? Like why? Why doesn't everybody do this? It like blew what? my mind. Yeah,
3: it blew my mind, and that's just the great education we got with Keller Williams. And so then when I had Gus. I quit my job and I was, that's basically what I was doing. And I would do everything. I would do the make readies. I would, you know, I had two kids, they were 15 months apart. I would drag them, they'd help me clean. They, we'd deposit rent checks. And I was, you know, they'd be in the back in their car seats. And I'd be like, you know, say cash flow or like, we're going to deposit the rent or like all that stuff when they were little and. It was, we did a lot during those five years because I wasn't working. You know, I was working, but yeah. I didn't have did like a, a, a real flips, job.
0: Which were intense, but she could help manage the process. A couple
3: yeah. of flips. Yep. Yeah. Bought a lot of properties. Did a subdivision. We did a lot of work on We did a lot of
0: sweat equity because
3: we only had one salary. Yeah. yeah. Like, remember...
0: I mean, we're patching the driveway on the duplex. And oh, yeah. Cutting the grass. Anyway, I remember
3: painting. Uh-huh. It's good when you earn the right to get
0: some leverage in there. Yep. But yeah, because we don't have a lot of money. You kind of, sometimes you have, you have to. to. Yeah. You
3: have to. And it actually worked out because that was kind of my mentality anyway. My whole extended family are like farmers, yeah. you know? So I was like, well, this is what you do. You just work all day.
0: When so. you got tennis elbow painting by yourself is <laughs> when I said enough. Yeah. Enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Enough. yeah. But it was that, watching how good she was managing the rental properties Mm -hmm. and how articulate, like when she was saying, like when the kids are youngest, Edward was about to go back to school. She's like, I remember you asking what should I do? And I was like, I'm writing these real estate books selfishly. It would be really cool. And I think you would be really good if you got your real estate license.
3: (laughs) And I was like, I don't know. I like invest. So like investing was always my first love. And then, you know, thanks to Jay's good coaching and also the millionaire real estate agent, I started a team really quickly. So I grew my team really fast. Within five years, I was, I was making a million dollars in real estate. And so that distracted me from the real estate stuff for a long time. Yeah. But what's great about that is that allowed us to create, like we have five cash flowing businesses between us. And so that's helped a lot too, because now we have a cash flowing asset to buy the real estate investments.
1: Yeah, which is something I don't think we talk enough about in the real estate investing world. I mean, most people are coming at real estate with no money. Yep. And so they're going to house hack or burr their way or flip their way, or wholesale, whatever, into struggling to get, like like I did, like you guys kind of did in the very beginning. Yeah. yeah, just to figure it out, right? And then there's the people who are just, they make a ton of money working for Google. And so they take their 300 grand a year extra and they dump it into you know syndications yeah. or whatever. Yep. But there's this middle idea of like, I'm going to generate... A business that then, you know, yeah. kind of Cody Sanchez style of some kind, whether you build it or buy it, and then you dump that into real estate. Mm-hmm. Is that kind of what you're referring to there? You build well, a cashier can... I,
3: I just started as a real estate agent yeah. and then I built it as a business. So now it is, it is a true business. Yep. You know, I only work maybe 10 hours a week mm-hmm. on my real estate business. Everybody does all the things. I pretend like I have a role in there, but <laughs> <laughs> when I don't show up, they're completely fine. Yep. And that allowed us to buy a lot of those first. Well, we,
0: we made the decision to stay on yes. my salary. Yeah. So and my salary mm. did go up because yep. I got to be an executive. But there's a limit. Like yep. there was a twelve year period where I didn't get a single raise. Wow. Yeah. And so you're like, still, but like let's live on my salary and then whatever the cash flow was from your you paid yourself a salary too, mm-hmm. but that was but for, low. I mean, yeah. I think yeah. at
3: first it was like forty five thousand dollars. And then all the cash went into buying properties. Or paying
1: down debt. Or paying yep. down
3: debt. Yeah, Yeah,
1: that's great. I mean, most people, what they do, and and I'm curious your advice against how to avoid this, but they just increase their spending to the level of what they make. That idea of, I mean, like when I used to drive around the country with my wife, we'd sleep in the back of our car. And then at some point we got a super eight motel and then. You know, at some point we upgraded to the Hilton, maybe like, you know, like Garden Inn and Suites, not the official Hilton, right? We couldn't afford that. And then it was, okay, maybe Marriott, right? And now Harry, I'm like, this Four Seasons sucks. They didn't, you know, have a butler. Like, it's not that bad. But there is that. No, it's true. That
3: That is really true. Yeah, so how do we,
1: how does somebody avoid the, like, from a psychological, yeah, the creep from a psychological standpoint? How do you Mm -hmm. avoid that when you have the money? Yeah, how do you invest it or pay down well, debt? I'm really instead? thrifty,
3: so for a long time I was just like a hardliner about it. What's weird about it when you're thrifty is that even when you can afford things, sometimes you you don't want to spend the money yeah. on it. Like a couple of years ago, Jay was like, "Wendy, I, I need a new Kindle." And I was—he's like the only way it works is if if it's plugged in. I was like, "Well, just read it with his, when it's plugged in." <laughs> and He's like, "Wendy, <laughs> this is ridiculous." And I was like, "Oh, fine." Like I, you know, but like my yeah. first in- instinct was to like, "Let's you spent save COVID
0: it. playing with." compound interest calculators yeah. and looking at where true. our current net worth could go after yeah. reading a couple I read the, of really good books. Well, I read
3: Simple Path to Wealth.
0: J.L. Collins. Yeah, book, yeah, if yeah. You ever, that changed my life. And uh, I just remember after like the second time that you'd kind of gone through that. I was like, we are you're good. Like, you're like, Babe, you can fine. start spending money now. I was yeah. like, we're I was fine. Like, Thank you. Have you guys read uh, Die with Zero? I just read that. Did you, yeah. <gasps> that was a cool one.
3: That changed my life too. Yeah. She's
0: scaring me a little bit. She's like, we're going to spend all of our money. Here. Yeah. yeah. That's, yeah. Like, what are you talking yeah. about? I'm, like, I'm willing go. to be yeah. less thrifty. Yeah. But. Well, Can you explain Die With Zero for those who well, on it?
3: okay. So it's by Bill Parkins. Yep. And it's really good because he talks about the different stages of your life. And I spent a lot of my 20s. So I had two trips around the world, one with Jay, one by myself. After I graduated from college, I spent about a year and a half traveling around the world with a backpack. And then I lived in New York. I was very poor, but I had a lot of fun. And so I always felt sort of bad, like, oh, gosh, I didn't start in doing all these things early enough. You know, I didn't get married until I was almost 30. And he talks about how when you're in your 20s, you're never going to be able to spend so little to have that great of a return on it. And I think about, you know, I traveled through the Middle East. I estimated I spent about $6 a day in Egypt. Wow. I spent a couple hundred bucks to spend, and now if we went back, I mean, we'd spend a couple hundred bucks on
1: dinner, dinner. Yeah.
3: literally <laughs> dinner. And uh, and so he argues that you're just never gonna ever be in a place where you can spend so little money and get and extract so much joy and happiness out of it. And and so it's like constantly reminding yourself about that. But then he also talks about how. When you have money, so many people have this old idea in their head that they're going to give their money to their children when they die. Yep. And what he says is, is you know maybe you're 88 years old when you die, or maybe you're 108 when you die, and your kids are already 75 years old. <laughs> At that point, they don't. They probably made a life for themselves, and like maybe they could have used a leg up in college, yeah. or maybe. You've got a kid who turns out to be a single mom and they could use a little help getting housing or something like that. So he talks about if you're going to give money away to your kids, like do it when they need it, which is usually when they're young. And then he talks also about charity. It's like, I can remember Jay's dad is, Jay's parents are both incredibly charitable. And his dad started a fund, a scholarship fund. Mm -hmm. And I always thought, oh, gosh, you know, why didn't he wait till he dies? But he really wanted to see.
1: Yeah, you see. He wanted to
3: see the impact of it. Yep because we're not going to be able to see any of it when we die. So it's like that idea has convinced me to just give away more money in the moment. Like our charitable goals have increased our, it, you know, all, all of those things have increased. Just, a, yeah. I love that book. It's my top three books of the That's last great. five years. Yeah. yeah
1: I, I really enjoyed it too. And it was, yeah, just the this idea. is a much better explanation. <laughs> I just hear her saying, "We're going to spend it. We're, We're going to spend all the it. money." <laughs> now I got the full picture. Well, he makes so many points about majority of wealthy people die with so much wealth. So much wealth. They didn't spend it, and then people fight back. They're like, "Well, you should, you know, what about giving away?" Well, that's not. He's not saying spend it frivolously. He's going to spend it on charity. Then, but do it in your life. Watch the impact. Yeah, give it to your kids. Like you said, the average inheritance is you're sixty seven years old. Like the average person who gets an inheritance is sixty seven or sixty four when they get their inheritance. Yeah.
3: They're already rich.
1: Like, yeah, exactly. They're done.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Or, or it's just too late to do anything yeah. meaningful for their life. Yeah. So yeah, it was it, a really powerful
1: book. It actually reminds me a bit in the one thing that you have that story in there, which stays with me to this day, but I think I'm going to probably butcher it and you remember more than I do, but it's like a box of fabric where somebody was like waiting until the end of their life. Yeah. They're going to go travel after Gary's retirement, mom. right? And then they died and they never got to you. Do you remember that? Like, Yeah,
0: it was uh, Gary's uh, mother-in-law. mother-in-law yeah. was she would buy fabric and thrifty. She would make dresses that she planned to wear in her retirement. And when you do that, you're kind of making a bet that you're gonna be there and healthy enough to enjoy it. And we're just, nobody's guaranteed that. Yeah. And that's Die With Zero in a nutshell. So really you wrote the book first is what I'm trying to say. And, (laughs)
1: And Bill Perkins just clearly took your idea. Yeah. Fantastic book about that. So speaking of Gary, we talked about Gary. I mean, Gary is arguably one of the most brilliant entrepreneurs In the world, super wealthy. I don't know if uh, we—I don't know if he's on the billionaire level yet, but probably somewhere near there. What have you learned, both of you? Actually, you know, you both are close
0: with Gary Keller. What have you learned
1: being in his proximity over the last several decades
0: of your life? The gift of working with him is this idea that we can always think bigger. That's his like superpower. I was going to say, yeah. He's always thinking bigger for the people he cares about than they have thought them safe Mm. themselves, and. He can make you see it. Yeah. And that's been a real constant gift. Like every time we think we're thinking big, he'll remind us that we could still think bigger, ask bigger questions of ourselves in our life. Yeah. And that's, I like to grow. So it's a little bit unrelenting. And there are days where I feel like he's shaking the tree and I'm ready just to fall off. Yeah. And, <laughs> but it also makes you strong. And I'm super appreciative of that part of the journey. Yeah. Very well cool.
3: Well, I think also this idea of coming from contribution which is for me always been teaching and podcasting and really giving back and that can change your life. You know, the best way to learn is definitely to teach. Yeah. And so, you know, Gary shared that with me early on and I just took that, that to heart and I, I teach all the time. I teach in my real estate office, I teach my team, I'm podcasting and that's how I've grown.
1: Yeah. Through, it definitely makes that. you better when you yeah. teach somebody else. Yeah. In fact, I once heard, a uh, a study. And I don't remember where I read it and maybe it's fake, but the idea was like, people always say like, how do you, how do you retain the best? You know, you, you remember, what is it like 10% of what you read and 20% of what you, this, and people often say, oh, you remember most of what you teach. But then somebody else, some study said, it's not necessarily what you teach. It's what you think you have to teach. And so like, when I read a book, whenever I, like the underlining thing, I always tell myself, I'm going to have to teach this later. Mm-hmm. And I convince myself, cause I mean, I probably will have to teach it at some point, but if I'm reading with a pen and assume I have to then teach it, that's when you really solidify yep. that information. And, I love it. You're yeah. reading
0: not just to understand it, but to help other people yeah. understand it. Yeah, so if you
1: it. read with the, yeah, with the frame and the mindset that I will have to help somebody else figure this out later. So I'll even tell myself, oh, I got to tell Heather this. Even though I know I probably won't. I might tell her 2% of what I think I'm going to tell her later in terms of book reading. But I just think, oh, I got to tell this to Heather later. Or I got to make a video about this for Instagram. Yep. And then I instantly like, yeah, you retain. And so, yeah, when people, like, I tend to remember hundreds of books that I've read. And like, that's, that's how like, I think I can do it is, and probably you as well, because you both are teachers. And yeah. so you remember what you read because of that. Let's completely shift gears. Okay. What do you love about each other? Who wants to go first?
0: Mm. What do you love most? The thing that drives me crazy. She's an <laughs> extrovert, mm. right? So she pushes me yeah. to to be uncomfortable, whereas I would love to be in my cave with a book or watching a movie. Like, my favorite date night is sitting in the dark theater holding her hand, yep. but we don't actually have to talk. Yeah. But that. I know because I want to stay married that we get to do other things too. <laughs> so that, that's the first thing that comes to mind yeah. is that it's not the parts where we've been very alike and we have an amazing, like we both want to be entrepreneurial. We both like to give. We both like to teach. We both like to read. We both like all that's great. It's the part where we're ultimately opposite. Yeah. You live long enough with that and you realize it's actually really good for you. Yeah. No uh, good books? Obviously.
3: <laughs> your six-pack abs. Mm. Well, for me, the thing that always drew me to Jay was he's incredibly curious. He has an insatiable mind for interesting information. And I'm just someone who I kind of think most people are boring. (laughs) And Jay has always been very, very interesting. And I mean, just from listening to him, you can tell how smart he is and how much he studies. And sometimes I feel like I learn more at breakfast, you know, than most people do and Mm. a lifetime. So I'm lucky Mm. that way.
0: Collecting those dots. What about your kids? What do you love about your kids?
3: Mm.
0: With our, one of our children in the room.
3: Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I will say with Gus, who's here is he's incredibly kind and empathetic. So there's three of us in the family and we're all kind of like the drivers who aren't don't have as much empathy. And so whether he was born that way or he kind of ended up that way, he's almost like the glue that holds our family together with his empathy and kindness. And, um, and then both of my kids are incredibly creative. Mm. I have so many memories of them as kids. Just they did this thing where they called it the game where they basically acted out like a story together. And they're both incredible writers, very deep thinkers, gifted artistically. Mm -hmm. You know, our youngest is is gifted artistically drawing. And so, yeah, they're both really creative. You know, living in the business world, you understand how the world actually needs a lot more creativity and less business. Yes.
1: So much more. Yeah. I just read a book called uh, Simplicity Parenting by a guy named John Kim Payne, I think it is. And uh, it was written like before the iPhone was invented, but like uh, around that time, but it talked a lot about screen time even before that was a problem. Like He, mm-hmm. he kind of foresee the problem, but he made this really interesting point in there about kids that are put into sports too early. Uh, I mean, organized sports, you know, baseball, whatever, at like five, six, seven years old, cheap, they learn man. to operate, yeah, in rules uh, versus creatively. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so he talks a lot about like not putting kids in sports too early yep. so you can develop that piece of their mind. Cause once you skip that part of their life and put them into, this is how the world works. These are the rules. This is your role. Don't learn other roles. Like we learn in sports. Yeah. You, you, uh, you don't get that back. Well, that was
3: one of the reasons we put our kids in kind of an alternative education mm. environment, because a lot of that creativity was being squeezed out of them at the public school that they were at. And it was a great public school, yeah. but they would come home and it was just, it was like their love of learning was getting squeezed out of them. And as someone who wants, who is a lifelong learner and desires to be a lifelong learner for my life, the rest of my life. It just made me really sad to see that. And Edward was like reading
0: 800 page books at home by himself, but could not be assigned more difficult reading in class until he was formally in the honors program. Mm. And we're like, really he has to read like Matilda when he's reading this giant novel. (laughs) And it's not that there was anything wrong. It was a blue ribbon school, but if you've got an edge case, they were very rules based around yes. the edges, and that that doesn't serve every child equally. Yeah.
1: So that you did Acton Academy, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you explain Acton for those who don't know what Acton Academies are? Like, what? It's a very weird, unique concept. It's weird. Yeah. 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 So yeah. we
3: could get Gu- Gus is here. He can talk yeah, about actually, it. Yeah. Actually,
1: Gu- Gus, are you interested in ta- chatting too? You want to come yeah, over and? Yeah. All right, we're gonna bring this is a, the the first for the podcast. Guest. Yeah.
3: Gus Papazian guest
1: appearance. There we go. All right. Well, first of all, maybe let's hear it first from Gus. What is Acton Academy?
2: So, to put it in a nutshell, Acton is, for one, a very small school. There okay. are 14 kids in my high school. Oh, wow. I'm going to be in a graduating class of three, so it's very small. Obviously, like a medium size. there's some bigger ones, there are a lot of smaller ones, but the core focuses of Acton are Socratic discussion. We have a lot what of does talking. That,
1: what does that mean, Socratic discussion? So.
2: Basically, in a lot of our learning and just in general, so for one, the big thing is the students make most of the rules. We have something called town hall every Mm. week where students get together, we can voice new systems we want to create, grievances, and we as a community make rules to solve that. The teachers, or the guides as we call them, don't mess with that at all. We can and have made stupid rules. and I'll tell a very (laughs) famous example of this back in middle (laughs) school. We clean the studio at the end of every day. And so, sorry, I got to, you know, I'm going to be hopping around tangents here. We also have a currency system called Eagle Bucks okay. and we use it. It's like a, it's kind of a fine, like a punishment system where if someone is distracting you or being bothering, you can find them an Eagle Buck and they get it deducted. And there's punishments for going negative and you can buy stuff with it. It's mainly just so we can keep each other accountable in the studio. But yeah, so at the end of the day, we clean. And so we made a rule that, okay, for every piece of, every piece of trash you have on the ground, you could find one Eagle Buck flat. And someone had at some point torn a piece of paper, a wrapper to shreds, which counted up to like 64 eagle boxes or something <laughs> stupid. And like they had immediately contested, like gotten mad at the person who'd find them for that. And then it had gotten heated. And so there was no real solving it. And it was a whole mess. And our guide likes to bring that up a lot as like, yeah, it's, it's part of the process is we learned that, okay, yeah, that didn't work. And we took that out. But the biggest part of acting, in my opinion, that kind of defines the most is self driven learning. We don't go to classes. We have some. We have a lot of group work every six to five to seven weeks. We have a session and there's like a group project we're all working on. But most of our work, math, reading, writing is, okay, this is all the stuff you have to do to finish high school. Go get them, champ. You mm. assign your own work every day. We have running partners and accountability groups that we've created as a studio to help us with that. But at the end of the day, I have to sit down on my computer and make myself do math. There's no one that's going to tell me to do it. And if they, someone is telling me to do it, it's because I've asked them to do, for instance. Um, Mom. Yeah. Mom, yes. Yeah, I'd say that's the biggest part of it. Wow. Um, there's a lot of other stuff where the community small and we, make, we have a lot of discussions. And those are all really cool parts of it. But I think that's the biggest thing that sets acting, acting apart is self-driven work. Yeah, It's, it's easily, uh, for as someone with ADHD, it is easily the hardest part for me as well and has made me struggle with the school the most is it's just, I have to go make myself do things, and while it's really hard. It's definitely a lesson I'm glad I learned. Yeah. So setting goals, driving to achieve them, all that stuff.
1: And public speaking, I'm guessing is a piece of it based on how well you can talk. Uh, I mean, like, yes. I don't know how 18-year-olds can talk to. Uh, to
2: brag a, a little bit, a <laughs> lot. I would say I'm pretty good at it for my school. I do one. I at this point, I I run a lot of. Our, when we do it parent exhibitions, I'm usually the one who steps up and does talking. But yeah, we all have to talk in the group, and the Socratic way of it, where it's like, okay. Everyone has a voice in the community. Is going to talk and uh, naturally leads to a lot of that, but we also focus on it as well. Yeah,
1: wild. I mean, what was that like when you, when you were looking at the school? I mean, that, that's a big jump from public school to say we're going to do. Like, was that like maybe we'll start with Wendy? Was that freak? Would that freak you out? Was this a big risk? Was, like, what was your mind on?
3: Well, choosing that? Um, so we had looked into Acton because several of our friends had taken the Acton MBA, which is a MBA for entrepreneurs. Mm, yeah, and that was that was started by Jeff and Laura Sandifer, who actually started the Acton Academy as well. And we had gone when you were like five, I think. They did a session for austin and there was a really long waiting list it was like a there were
0: 99 couples applying for two open positions and i recognized seven different couples that i knew had been in the mba program and i just turned to wendy i was like do we even want to wait around because one of them will get it but i was happy we toured the studio because they were doing one of their projects for that semester was write a best-selling book and i looked up there and one of the students was there. You just got to talk to them and said, so what was this? Well, we had to come up with a book idea and then we had to go sell it door to door. And whoever pre-sold the most copies of the book won the contest. And they'd brought in a local publisher, Clint Greenleaf, to talk to them about I was like, it's like they designed it just to seduce me. <laughs> and I was like, and our child will be denied it because there's only two open yeah. spots. Yeah. And yeah. then we found out about an, another act And then we nobody.
3: found out about another one. Yeah. And what kind of did it for us is our youngest came home from first grade and it was this worksheet that he had. And it said, draw a picture of yourself in first grade. And he drew a picture of himself behind a desk with tears rolling down his face with a thought bubble with a dragon in it. And I thought this is not the place for you. Yeah. Uh, and so we ended up getting into another actin that was being formed. That one did not go well.
2: Yeah, that one was yeah. not great. Yeah, um, but and why is that? I can go into a multitude of reasons. It wasn't. It was not well won. Okay. I'll, 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 it, yeah. It, it was. It wasn't. It wasn't like they were not following the curriculum. Yeah. At the end, too. It was not. There was a whole host they of problems. Ended up dropping out. Yeah, of it, it, it wasn't yeah. like a, like a fundamental like, any interesting difference. There was just problems. But after that, we went to one that I graduated that from. Yes. this life last Friday. So Congrats! Sacred, yeah, so very cool.
1: All right, wow. Acting academies, yeah. It's, I, I've known a number of people as well in Austin and elsewhere that have done it. And uh, yeah, if well, I had one in Hawaii, I think I would. Uh, well, I think there's it.
3: there's like 500 in process of being there's formed, a, and a some a lot, people. Now. It's a good little cash flowing business. Yeah, I'm, I know. I thought heard. of
2: that too. I'm yeah. like, is it worth a uh,
3: well, building yeah, one? Maybe. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I will say on that note that it's, it's interesting because running an act, it's, actins are weird because um, the, in the nature of the system is actins can very easily be kind of made or broken. Well, anyone can definitely start one. Yeah. But it's kind of hard to run a, a good one for two reasons. One, you need to have, it's nice having a good owner. Like, oh, head guy Joey is wonderful and he's really awesome. But also like you have to have like a good students for it because we've had a lot of people that have, come into the school and been not great for it even though we have a it's a pretty extensive application process yeah because at the end of the day if people don't want to do this stuff they doesn't get done and so it's really nice where it's like with our school there was a because once you build a foundation and enough people in it even if someone's not super like we not be immediately into it they can kind of like they'll mix with the culture well and they'll learn and they'll be better but starting it can be like pretty hard because like we had a lot of like our old one there was like looking at it again there was a lot of fundamental problems that were there like kind of at the start that just Mm -hmm. never really got better because the beauty and the curse of acting is it's yeah it's a bunch of kids running the whole show themselves and if the kids rise to that challenge and do well it's awesome if they don't it can be not great. So. Lord of the Flies. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Lord of the Flies style. Like. So. Oh, yeah. throw
1: them all in. Well, yeah. Gus, that's awesome. And uh, congratulations on you. your uh, graduation. That's a huge, huge thing in life. I'll so. give uh, my dad
2: back his spot.
1: <laughs>
0: Adios.
1: Dude, I love it. First time on this podcast. First time I've ever had somebody's uh, kid come into a podcast episode. I love it. I love, love it. it. All right. So I'm going to stay on this topic just for a couple more minutes. The podcast is called A Better Life, right? With Brandon Turner. That's me. but it's not just wealth. We've talked a lot about wealth today mm-hmm. uh, we, and we, I want to talk a little bit about marriage and parenting just for a few minutes before we get out of here. What does it mean or how does one obtain a better marriage? What's worked for you guys?
0: Well, can I get back? I didn't get to answer oh, the parenting thing. Please. I was going to say the, what I love about our kids, cause this plays into that, yes. right? If you know my two tattoos, I was thinking about it while Wendy was answering. And the thing I love most about both my kids is that they made me a father. And that in being a father, there was a different level of accountability that naturally showed up for me. I yeah. respond well, like I didn't want, I can come home and say I'm a writer, but if I'm not writing, they see what you do, not what you say. Yeah, And that held me to a higher standard for myself. And that was a huge gift, right? To, to be, if I tell them, I want you to do these things, I feel compelled to do those things or try to do those things. And I thought that was a great gift for me. I respond well, like they're counting on me to concentric to the advice I give and that's made me a better man. So that's-
1: That's beautiful.
0: Is that selfish? But I think that's absolutely what I love about both of them is that they made me be a dad, which made me be a better person.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Well, why don't we then stick on the parenting side just for a minute longer? Okay. Uh, I'll ask the marriage one in a second so you can think on that in the back of your head. But what have you done- to be good parents, like what what works for you? What hasn't worked for you? I mean, you've got two great kids, so something's worked well.
3: Well, we saw Ed Milet recently, and he said that not living out your potential is a form of child abuse, mm. essentially. And so I have been a present mom, but I've also been pursuing what I love and helping other people in the process. And I think kids, they follow, they see you, they see what you're doing. And so for me to kind of like live out my mission, which is to empower and inspire big thinking leaders to create lives of abundance and all the charity work that we do and all the things that we pour into people, like they've seen all that and we've made them a part of that has been hopefully I mean, we can get gust away in on it a little yeah. That sounds what terrifying. Right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> um, but I think that's, yeah, just like living your best life is really important because yeah. it gives your kids, because my kids are diff- very different than me. They're just, they are, yeah. they're very different. And I live with three super deep thinkers, introverts. I, sometimes I feel like I'm the shallow one in the family. But just like them watching me pursue my dream has been hopefully a gift to them, which allows them to do that too.
1: So, What do you think, Jay?
0: I think pretty early on, I know that you and Heather do a goal setting retreat. We do one too. And when we talk about our key relationships, we would ask the question, what are we going to do? Like, what are the goals that we need to have around Edward or Gus this year? So we were able to put a framework around What is it that we can do or need? And that started some of our family habits. Like, I can't remember who read it first, but like when you have dinner at the table without media playing, like just that act, yeah, your kids have lower instances of drug addiction and depression. It's like, yeah. it gives you an opening to have a conversation. And even if it's what you do at school, nothing, yep. right? There's that regular and then we added to that the habit of gratitude. Mm-hmm. And every day we say, "What's your one thing that you're grateful for?" And everybody has to go around the table, and we've made that a ritual. I love it. And so I think we've institutionalized a few routines. I think, I mean, Gus is a huge reader. Edward was a huge reader for a long time, and now I guess manga counts as reading. It's also mm-hmm. got the visual and the the design. Yep. But like, I know that that's great for their minds. Yep. So hopefully, we challenge them. Yeah. and did okay, and then set some routines that might serve them when they're not in our home?
1: Well, I think there's power in, you use the word ritual, mm-hmm. a family ritual. And I think yeah. there's like, that's a book title right there in itself some days. Mm-hmm. Like, like family rituals are- I'd buy it. Uh, yeah, right? You just like, what are the things that mm-hmm. we do? What do we stand for? What do we do regularly? And teaching your kids that, you know, the phrase I say all the time is you get the re- you get the results of what you repeatedly do. Mm-hmm. So like a ritual is dinner at the table. In fact, you know, I have, I have my habit tracker. I do it every day in my little Better Life book. And one of my habits I'm always tracking is, did we have dinner together four times a week? You know, I work a fair amount of evenings in terms of like people visiting and we're always, we're in Hawaii and we don't do a lot of sit down at the table. So I was like, I saw that and I read actually that in Simplicity Parenting, he talked about as well, about just the shocking drop in almost every negative thing a kid can go through when you have dinner at the table. Like that's like one of the biggest, so I was like, all right. Let's start it four times a week. Yep. Like, am I hitting that goal four times a week? But that became a ritual. Asking the questions become a ritual. I got a friend, Jefferson Bethke, who I'm coming on the show at some point, and they do like this candlelight ceremony, at, like Sabbath dinner every Friday night, and they light these candles and they say the same thing. it becomes this ritual. I think rituals are missing from Western civilization.
0: Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Great. And also something you said, this is what we do as a family. I think part of this is like you're setting standards of what it means to be a Papazan or a yeah. Turner and you hope that those get passed on to another generation. Like, I think it's not just important for our kids, but maybe like, I know that we are consciously or unconsciously doing some of the stuff our parents taught us. Sure. (laughs) So hopefully the good stuff sticks and the bad stuff they just ignore. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Well, and I think we've worked on our marriage a lot. And so I'm hoping that one of the gifts we gave our kids is what a loving partnership looks like. And it's a true partnership. I mean, we're partners in business, we're partners in life, we're partners in parenting. And we don't always agree and we do, we're both like drivers. So of course we like bicker a lot around, you know, around the house and hopefully they see the resolution of that. But I can remember when our kids were little, you know, every time we would go off to date night, especially Edward would just be crying oh. in the driveway as we oh, drove I'm away, that right now, you know, yeah. and, oh, and
0: it's, tough. it's,
3: it's so tough. hard. And now they're like, oh, yay, they're gone. <laughs> Um, and
0: let's get P Terry's. Yeah,
3: yeah. 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 I mean, they're so old now, but just that idea of like, I always tell my kids, listen, I love you guys. Like, I love you with my whole heart, but I love your dad more. Yeah. Like I picked him. <laughs> you guys are random. Like I love you guys, <laughs> but I picked him. Yep. And so hopefully showing them what a loving, powerful marriage looks like.
1: Yeah. I just talked about that with uh, a woman named Brooke Weinstein. Do you guys know Brooke at all? She's in Austin. Mm-hmm. Um, amazing. Uh, Kind of child family expert. Anyway, amazing lady. But uh, we talked a lot about the. My kids are in that phase right now. If mommy or daddy go on a date, like mm-hmm. they just yeah, they're. I mean, the other so day. One on each leg, holding oh, on, no. screaming and crying. I had to yeah. push them off my leg oh, to it's run so out the door. It's so and hard. Slam the door. And, and you lock hear it. as soon as you're out of sight. Yeah. No, no, they they're text, fine. Yep, they text two minutes later. The the, the babysitter. Fine. Yep, they're totally fine. Yeah. Uh, in fact, this morning when we were coming down to the event here, I had my keynote at nine o'clock. It's 8.40 and Wilder's grabbing Heather's leg and just screaming, no, no, no. And the entire walk down the hallway out of our hotel room oh. was him screaming uh. and crying. And we are at the bottom of the elevator and she got a text. He's totally fine. He's playing now. <laughs> and I'm like-
3: but, uh, yeah. It's uh. heartbreaking though.
1: So yeah, but, but I- 100%. Like those date nights, even in the face of that, yes. it's the ritual of yeah. the date night that matters, right? So what yeah. else besides the date nights, what else do you guys
0: do as a couple to strengthen your relationship? We work out together. Do you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what year it was. It was a it, long time, it's time been ago. it like 15 Ten years, years ago. Wendy started going to with her friend Jenny to Camp Gladiator, and she was doing it in the mornings. And I'd had back surgery, or I was about to, and I wanted to work out. And I was like, how do we work this out? Like we had two small kids. And so we ended up figuring out how to get your Camp Gladiator Mm -hmm. trainer to come to our driveway the hour before they were going to be at that park. Yeah. So we started working out at 5 a.m. And it was
3: expensive. Yeah. It's been a, I would say, of the the thing we've spent the most money on that's had the biggest return. For sure. It's that. For sure. It's that. And it's 100% accountability. Here I am. So you know you're going to work out. And we do it three times a week. At one point, we were doing it at like 445 because mm-hmm. that's the yeah. way the schedule worked. Yep. Now it's at six. We
0: wanted to do it when our kids are that small. where well, they're like, sleeping. They're asleep. Yeah. And we would hear them wake up. But we would like, that was the whole point. We can work out together. The kids are safe. They're literally in their cribs. Yep. And when we're done is when the morning starts. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So it's like, we're doing things together. We do a lot of weightlifting. Doing uh, hard things together. Now. Yeah. Right? Yeah, we do, you do a know lot. the, of, the yeah. gift
0: of, I mean, exercise is also yeah. like you set goals. Yeah, and you, the
3: progression of it. Yeah, you know, celebrating that. The yeah. trainers,
0: if you get to know them well enough, for a little bit, like marriage therapy too, right? <laughs> you know, we're bickering at each other, and poor David is our great. He's like, he's trying to be so and sweet mornings, whenever we're like cross at uh, each other.
3: Yeah. But. yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: That's funny. Yeah, All right, I'm yeah. committing to it right now. I'm going to start working out with Heather because we've been talking it. about it forever, but we haven't done it. And it's we the have best like, thing. Yeah. We have a million excuses. Oh, the kids are hard to leave and all that. But so if we call you up in a month, you're going to call me up in a month. Yeah. We're going to work out together. All right. Knock, we're doing knock, it. Got yep. it.
3: Accountability's knocking.
1: Oh, I love accountability. All yeah. right. Moving on to the next. Uh, I got a couple more segments of the show. Next one is something that we're currently calling the three, two, one. Mm-hmm. So I'm asking you three pivot books in your life, meaning books that have changed the direction of your life. The way that the one thing, and I, I've answered this question that way. It's the one thing, but. What are some pivot books in your life? Three, we'll go three each, mm-hmm. if you can throw them out there. Okay. Two influential people that you look up to and one inspirational quote or something that you live your life by. So three, two, one, let's start with the books.
0: Okay. So this is weird. I can tell you the ones I've read, but one of the books that created more opportunity for me than anything else was the book that I worked on. Okay. So I was assigned to work as an assistant editor on Body for Life by Bill Phillips, which is one of the books that Gary opened the acknowledgments and had my name in. And at the time I hated it. (laughs) It was a book about weightlifting and I was a soccer weenie. And the guys who lifted weights were the guys that would pick on us in high school. so like everything about it. I was like, I don't like these people so much. The author would only work with us via fax. No email, no phone calls. Only facts for writing an entire book between New York and Denver. I didn't
3: remember
2: that.
0: Yeah. Wow. He was very particular about, it was the most effective at that time, communication form. People were too casual on email and letters were too slow and phone, he didn't want to talk about the weather, but a fax, they had to be, (laughs) I was like, okay. So we edited that entire book and it was like painful. Wow. But- Like I learned more, and that book went on to sell six and a half million copies. To this day, I've never been a part of a book that was more successful than the book. I probably hated working on the most, Mm -hmm. but I learned the most. And that became like a calling card when I went to work with Ray Bard, the publisher for The One Thing, that's the book that got his attention.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And he's like, so you already know what it means to publish a million copy,
3: Mm -hmm.
0: bestseller. And so anyway, like, so that would be my number one is like, if you look at our, all of our books are copyrighted Relic Publishing Partners. And I got that from that author. It was 11th level publishing. And I remember I asked him, it's like, why don't you just copyright it in your name? And he goes, well, because I understand business. And if I copyright it under the name of an LLC, I don't have to call the publisher if I want my ghostwriter to get money. I can just do that at another level and I can claim expenses on it. And this is before I'd read yeah. any of the books I've read today. And I was like, oh, that kind of makes sense. I'm pretty sure all my books are in my... Name. But now, now you know. Now, <laughs> now you can I go know. back. But, but it was like, it gave him the flexibility to reward people yeah. throughout the journey. And I was like, that's forethought. It's like, I can't tell you all the lessons I learned as a writer from no. that. And it's also a great workout book. Like yeah. when mm-hmm. I opened my mind, I was like, oh, and it was actually revolutionary. Like you could lift weights and burn more fat than cardio. Yep. Perfect. Cool. All right. Love Wendy, that. what you got?
3: Well, I think it's kind of cheating, but for sure, it's the one thing for me.
0: Mm, yeah.
3: I lived that especially for someone who likes to do all the things and bounce all over the place. And even now, even though I've read it, I don't even know how many times sometimes when I'm feeling overwhelmed, I'll just open it up. I'll read a chapter. And it's like a panacea, you know, where I'm like, ah, okay, I can, I can do this.
1: Did I ever tell you guys, I'm sure, I'm sure I did. But when I read the one thing the first time I, first of all it was the only book I've ever finished. And then on the last page I turned it over and I started page one again. So Mm -hmm. I read the whole thing through twice in a row, but then I had the idea. I'm like, what if I applied the concept of the one thing to my reading and I said, instead of reading 20 books this year or 30 books, I'm going to read one book 20 or 30 times. Mm. So I read the one thing. That was the only book I read that whole year. Mm. Uh, I read it uh, wow. like 20 or 30 times that year. I would listen on Audible and wow. I would just, every day when I'd work out, I'd walk, anything, I would listen to the one I've thing read it so over times. and over. Yeah,
0: it, I need to get you to teach the book and watch you. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. want to see what you would teach yeah. the book. Because oh. I was
1: just like, if I can just get this concept down, if I just get this through my thick skull, everything in my life would be easier if yep. I could just understand this. And- yeah. So it made a big impact on me. So anyway, wow. that's why I was a little fangirly when I met that. you the first time. <laughs>
0: that's amazing. No, that's
1: amazing. <laughs> yeah, that was my uh, book yeah. of the year. Yeah, uh, I did that also with a book called 80, 20 sales and marketing by mm-hmm. Perry Marshall. I read that one a good 20 times or I listened mm-hmm. to it mostly. And
0: yeah, that I'm one. guessing from the title. I think that's so yes. powerful. Yes. Theme, right. Focus yes. on what matters yes. very much so. I think
3: that's so powerful because I think sometimes we think like it's just one and done. And yep. I get people ask me all the time, like, what are you reading? What are you reading? I'm like, Well, what do you need right now? Yeah. You know, what do you need right now? And sometimes you need to reread a book that was impactful to you. I just reread Simon Sinek's Start With Why. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Powerful book. Of that, what was powerful it for- book is it the Bruce Lee quote about, I don't fear the man who's done a thousand kicks one time. I fear the man who's done one kick a thousand times yeah. Yeah. or something like that. Like, yeah. 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 So yeah. It's, I want reinforcement of the things like we all know what to do. So we just don't do them. So sometimes we just need yep. to reinforce it. Yep. Anyway. Yep. All right. Well, we're two books down at six. What else you got for okay. pivot right, so books? I'll speed, throw out speed uh, man's mm-hmm. search
0: for meaning. Okay. Victor Frankl. Yep. Right. And that we talked about that earlier, right. That, I mean, if you can choose happiness in those conditions, there's just none of us have an excuse. And I actually went back and reread that. It's probably my third time, not 23 times, (laughs) but like after my dad passed away last year, I was like, you know what? I need to go and get my head back on straight. And it's Mm. that book I can go to and just say, you know what, it is all in your head, right? You get to choose how you interpret the world. Yeah, beautiful.
3: Well, I'm going to say The Simple Path to Wealth. We brought it up earlier by J.L. Collins. And that was really what freed me from being, it just allowed me to understand where our wealth is now and what it's going to look like in the future. And this idea of compound interest was super powerful. All
0: right. Great book. One more each. I would probably have 50 books like tied Yep. Now for like <laughs> third place. Yes. So I'm gonna we've been talking a lot about giving. And so I think I read Adam Grant's Give and Take, and that's a book that I think now, like what are the books I've given away a ton that's of good. copies? I just reread
3: that one too. I've not read
0: that one. Oh, oh it's so great. Good. And there's yeah. just, there's some okay. real so takeaways. I just reread that one. He talks about five minute favors. Like learn how you can say yes, but yes on your time and, mm. and ask for five minute favors of busy people. Yeah. And do little things to build trust. And he's like, It was all, the takeaway is strategic giving. I'm not, can I do a little spoiler? It's all in the first chapter. It's probably on the flap copy. (laughs) They did a study about whether people were givers, takers, or matchers, right? Givers are the ones that want to give back. Takers, obviously, are taking all they can get. And matchers are, well, I paid for lunch last time, so it's your turn, right? They definitely want to split the bill or, you know, treat it that way. They're keeping score. And he wanted to know, like, who made the most money. And so they crunched all the numbers and like depressingly takers were at the top mm. and givers were at the bottom. And the breakthrough was in when they went back and really started parsing the data, there was a sliver of givers at the very, very top top. And then they asked the question, what made them different? And I love that because I want intrinsically, karmically to be a giver. And I also don't wanna have people treading on my yes. back throughout my entire life, yeah. right? I don't wanna be at the bottom of the pile. I mean, now this is the two hundred and forty page book, what it means to be a strategic giver. Mm. Right? How to give strategically. So you're not being taken advantage of and you can have an amazing impact. So it's a fabulous book. Go read it. Yeah. I mean, I would love to hear you talk to Adam Grant. I've never mm-hmm. been able to get him for an interview. Yeah. So there's your challenge. <laughs> All right. Again. Strategic giving. Great All book. Right. Love it. All
3: right. I'm gonna say any book by David Green. No,
0: David I'm just <laughs> David Green, my David Green.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, Everyone one is amazing. <laughs>
3: Actually, the book I was thinking of is something we talked about earlier, which was Die With Zero. That's that's been a real mindset shift for me in the last probably eight months when I read it. A very powerful one. So if you have a lot of wealth, it's not a book for everyone. It's not for people starting out on their wealth journey at all. It's for people who have amassed a certain amount of wealth. It's just a great, great perspective on what you should be doing next.
1: Perfect. All right. Two influential people. We'll do one each. Somebody who's made it Influence on your life.
0: I mean, like I've already said it. Like, I think one of them is this lady right here. Mm. That's what I was going to say. say Oh, you too. All right, now I'll make you say two each. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The other one's kind of obvious for me. And it was like, I think about the two people who had the biggest impact outside of my parents. Like, so we're going to cheat and go all the way back there. Sure. But Gary, like, I mean, before I started working at Keller Williams, which was his ultimately creation. I thought that the way to get ahead was my dad had been an executive. You go and you work at a company, you work for 25 years, which I'm kind of doing that. I'm 24 years in, but like, and you do the raise game and the executive game. And when we interviewed for the millionaire real estate investor, I had to do 120 interviews with millionaire real estate investors. And like, you hear their stories, immigrants, like talking about how magical it is that we can use a mortgage to buy a house. Yeah, Like in some countries, they have to save up their whole life and pay cash. And they're like, oh my gosh, your country And I was like, I got to see this whole, I mean, it was like the veil got lifted. And I'm sure a lot of investors have that moment where you suddenly see on the other side and it doesn't look sketchy and risky. Like that was all happened after I got into that culture of entrepreneurs at KW and Gary Keller. And I give him the credit because he created that culture. And he also directly taught me a lot of the lessons. So he's the only count as my number one, since this yeah. doesn't count, I got it. I'll got th- i come up with another one. I like that.
3: Well, and I was gonna say Gary as well. So that's kind of <laughs> cheating, but really for a different reason, because I think about when I see Gary, I think about the lasting impact that one person can really have on the world. Yeah. And he just started with the mission, which was to help people live their best lives. Nothing about real estate. And he's 43 years into it, exemplifying all the principles of the one thing, which is success looks different than you think it is. It's repeatable activities done over time. And he's impacted millions and millions of people through, you know, being a great mentor, his teachings, his writings, his podcasts, everything he's ever done. And so for me, that's just really inspirational in the way I want to model my life, which is to just continue to contribute to the world.
1: Beautiful. Love that. All right. Well, that's good enough. We got some good influential <laughs> okay. people. All right. What last question then? Is there an inspirational quote you live your life by?
0: I'll rephrase it. There's a quote that I keep on my wall. There's actually two, but like that I have to have as a leader. And it's actually from Keith Cunningham, who we mentioned earlier yeah. in his class. I don't know if it's in his book or not. He said, and maybe he was quoting someone else, but I give him credit, nothing changes until what's unsaid is spoken. Mm. And what that meant to me at that time, I had to level up and I went from like seven employees to 44 very quickly. And this idea that, and I learned it through being a manager, but then I realized it applied everywhere in my world. Until I actually tell people explicitly what my expectations of our relationship are, it's really unfair for me to judge them for anything else. I don't like conflict. Yeah, same. And so like having those hard conversations was very hard for me. And so to learn how to be a business leader, to be a leader, I had to move faster and then realize it was a gift to them. Like they can't meet my expectations if they're just guessing all the time. And so now that applies as being a parent. That applies as being a coworker. That applies as being a spouse. There's all this stuff that we're magically wanting telepathy to fix that doesn't fly. I keep that in mind because whenever I find myself judging people, I have to ask now, do they know the standard that I'm holding them against? Because if not, I owe them an apology. And that's usually what I say. Yeah. Hey, I'm so sorry. I was judging you today. And the reason I was judging you is because you were doing your email in a class that we were paying you to go to. But you know what? I never told you that that was a standard of mine. Yeah. I have literally had that exact conversation. And it's been such a gift because now I can have this mechanism for getting to a better place with those vital relationships. And that that's the quote that drives me. Beautiful.
3: I love that. So good. Mine is a quote by Helen Keller and it's life is a daring adventure or nothing at all. And I think it's just about living a very brave and authentic life. I mean, we're all here for the journey. You know, it's not, not about the destination at all. It's really about the journey. And so for me, it's about waking up every day and living a better life.
1: Perfect. All right. I got A couple more questions and we'll get out of here. This next segment we like to call past, present, future. The question, number one, what advice would you give your past self? This is the past part, past, present, future, past. What advice would you give your past self?
3: Uh, I know. You don't have to do all the make readies on all those rental properties. You can pay (laughs) somebody to do that.
0: Well, this is like, it's good though. Like mine would be No One Succeeds Alone. Like I think I was very late to the idea of succeeding through others. And that's the same story. Yes. Like I think if you're you're successful, like Gary calls us little taskers. Like we got here because we we saw what needed to be done and we did it. Yep. And you get really good at doing it. And that makes it even harder, ironically, for you to allow someone to do it for you. And man, I wish I could have gotten that earlier. Yeah. I just wish I could have gotten it a lot earlier.
1: I'm right there with you. Present, uh, the question is, what is something that you are currently, you've recently and are currently doing in your life that's given you a better life? could be a habit, trait, action thing.
3: I know, uh, yeah. we, what, what are you gonna say? I was gonna
0: say, I wonder what would happen if we guessed for each other, no, <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna do it. All right, go ahead, go ahead.
3: Well, I have two things, a, yeah. a deep thing and a shallow thing. So my deep thing is, is we actually hired a director of finance for all of our investments. Mm. So every year when we do our couples retreat, we ask ourselves the question, like, what are some things that we're doing that either aren't a good use of our time or somebody else could do better? And I feel like I've fired myself from almost every job. And I was doing a lot of the financial stuff. And so we ended up hiring a director of finance who's in charge of our taxes and all of like our personal finances now, all of our business finances, because we have so many individual things. We we don't really have anyone looking at our whole business world as a family. So now we've got access to each other's P&Ls and stuff like that. So that was good.
0: And all the stuff that we knew that we should do but weren't doing because yeah. we knew how busy well, and we were. She, so she, we gave, she yep. made
3: her salary like that in yeah. a minute. She's she's made her salary like Cost five segregation times over. On all of our properties. Yeah, all those, yep. all those things. Yeah.
1: I have the same person in my life and it's It's so yeah. good. It's the yeah. best.
3: Yeah, it's the best.
1: All right, so that was a deep one. That was shallow one? One? That's my
3: shallow one. Okay, so one year ago, I was at InvestorCon and I saw Alicia St. Germain. She has a haircut like me, but her hair looked fantastic. So I went up to her and I said, Alicia, how do you get your hair like that? She's like, Wendy, I'm going to change your life. Aribay hair texturizing spray, fantastic hairspray, changes your life. I, so.
0: that's, that's, that's what's are on favorite. the top of our Target shopping list right now, isn't
3: it? <laughs> it's so great. <laughs> it's really good. It's really good. It's so, called rebay, oh. O-R-I-B-E. It's very expensive hairspray. Old me would have never bought it, but it lasts a long time. And especially like it's even holding up in Maui with yeah. this humid weather, so a well, game your changer. Hair is on point. A game changer. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Those are my favorite answers, by the way, to that question. Yeah, is like very, very
0: like tactical. particular tactical things. It's all things. tactical. Yeah. yeah. All right, Jay. What about you? Oh gosh, I don't have that kind of cool shallow answer. <laughs> no, I think I told you like a little less than a year ago. I gave myself my first deadline, mm, weekly yep, deadline. Yeah, yep. And I did it ostensibly to create an opt-in list of our top agents for our company. And, but I just loved every minute of it is being able to have a hundred percent control, but to do it within a partnership for a bigger goal than just me. And every week, I mean, I'm just working on those riding muscles and it's very liberating for me. Awesome. And they're
3: so
1: good. Uh, They are very good. Yes. Uh, And I'll ask you in a minute where people can get on that list. But last question for the future one, what do you want your legacy to be?
0: you just said us and i'll i'll go i'm going to say they made an impact that's my top value yeah. it's like when i think about the compass and a, your one of your top values is making a difference mm-hmm. it's great to get the reward of money or whatever but i want to hear that we changed someone's life yeah and so making an impact that's all it is that's my favorite review oh because i read your book i walked my daughter to school and that changed our relationship doesn't have to be something big just something meaningful yeah well, that's my on, answer. Uh, on a
1: small way, you changed my life. And the lessons I learned from you have, like, we would not be here. The Better Life Tribe would not exist without you. Oh. And so the millions of lives that we're going to impact in the future from us as well, uh, thanks to
0: you, too. So if only everybody would read it 23 times, imagine. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone should read it 23 times. <laughs> All right, Wendy.
3: For me, it's, it's like I said, living my mission, which is to empower and inspire big thinking leaders to create lives of abundance and do that in an authentic, joyful way.
1: Mm, and you have a Her Best Life. Is that one of the methods you do that?
3: Yeah, we have. So that? we started this company in 2019, and I had a group of 11 of us that had been meeting in exotic locations as a mastermind, and we said, we need to bring this to Other people, because leaders are lonely, especially women Uh, leaders, they're very lonely because sometimes we are friends with other moms in our neighborhood and we'll be at a party and they'll be having discussions about like how hard it was to go to Target. And we have to do all of those things, plus run businesses on the side. And so it can be very lonely. And so we've created an organization where women can come and feel like seen by each other and heard. And it's okay to be all the things. It's okay to be a mom. It's okay to be a, a real estate investor. It's okay to be a business owner, and we all have the same the same struggles. We all have each other's backs. So that's been a great, amazing organization. To I've assembled a great team. We have an incredible executive director. I run it with six of my best friends, and um, that's been an amazing journey. So,
1: uh, I love that. Yep. Well, y'all, where do people best connect with each yet? Or so find you. I mean,
0: if they want to read my writing, I'd say go to the 20%er and that links to all my books. The so 20 percenter.
1: The 20%er. Okay. What does the 20%er mean? What is that?
0: So it was just looking for something that was on brand, right? The 20%, right? It's the 20% yeah. that matters. Mm. And it was my challenge to write each week about something that mattered. And that was also in my mind leveraged. So not everything's tactical, but it's meant to kind of get to the heart of what matters. So most of them are like a three minute read.
2: Okay.
1: The twenty
0: percent. That dot and I mean, come on, Jay Papazan. Yeah. There's only one <laughs> in the world, as far as I know. So like, they can find me. I can't hide. Yeah, you're there.
3: Yeah. Uh, Wendy is dot fun.
1: Wendy is dot fun.
3: Mm-hmm. What a great idea for a URL. Yeah.
1: I need to do a cool URL. You can URL. do that. I had the idea one time. I haven't done this, but I thought about every time I go on somebody else's podcast to make a new URL based on that podcast. So like you can see which
3: one does better.
1: Well, it's more of just to make a funny moment in the moment where I'd be like, yeah, just go to Brandon was the best guest ever on (laughs) (laughs) xyzpodcast.com. And they're like, wait, is that legit? I'm like, that's legit. Yeah. haven't done it yet, but maybe I will.
3: Yeah. Just think of all those URLs you'd have, those horrible URLs. So many long
1: URLs. (laughs) All right. You guys, uh, I meant it when I said it earlier, you guys are very much my heroes and I love everything you do and your marriage and your kid raising and your business skills and everything and your writing and your agenting and everything. So thank you for joining me. It's been an honor.
0: Thank you for having us. Thank you.
1: Thank you. And that is the show. Thank you everyone for tuning in to another episode of a better life with Brandon Turner. I hope you enjoyed the insights and the wisdom uh, brought to you today on the show. If you found value in this episode, please consider leaving us a rating and a review on your favorite podcast platform. Uh, Your feedback actually does help us improve the show. We look at the feedback, I look at the feedback, and we can reach more people with our message of living a better life. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Follow me on social, Beardy Brandon. And hey, before I go, this show is all about the habits, actions, and beliefs that can give you a better life. But in case you're interested and you want to know my opinion on what it takes to live the best life ever, and that includes some of my kind of weird spiritual beliefs maybe, Check out abetterlife.com slash bestlife, abetterlife.com slash bestlife. Thank you again for listening, and I will see you next time on A Better Life with Brandon Turner.